0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of All In. I'm Seth, the newest holiday hire at Nooks Cranny,
1: and I am Advance Wars Days of Eric. Dude, I don't know about you, I am so behind on my Christmas shopping this year, but there's just been so many crazy news stories, that's really all I've had time for.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, Hanukkah's actually coming up very quickly this year, and I've got a lot of shopping left to do myself, but you know, we've both certainly put in plenty of time behind the counter, so this week on the show, we're actually going to be celebrating the holiday retail employees out there. That's right,
1: and in our indie showcase this week, it is the perfect ode to the hard-working shopkeeper.
0: We're going to be talking about Moonlighter from 11-Bit Studios and Digital Sun. Yeah, I've been having a blast with that game, and in this week's top five, we're going to be saluting the very best, most memorable merchants across Nintendo history.
1: Yeah, and we've kind of mentioned a couple times on this show, but it's time that we peeled back the curtain a little bit on our time in the world of retail. How about it, buddy? You ready to swap some stories about all of our years in the world of video game retail? You ready to relive those years?
0: (sighs) 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 I I mean, no, but for the show.
1: For the show. All right, guys, it's time to go all in.
0: And yeah, Hanukkah is is early this year. It actually starts on December tenth, like same day as the Game Awards. December tenth truly is a celebration. It truly is a celebration. I, I love Hanukkah. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it, and uh, it, it's all great. However, it definitely snuck up on me this <laughs> this year. I definitely, with all the 2020 craziness, it definitely uh, snuck up and uh, and look. All the holiday shopping craziness has definitely got us thinking about the retail workers out there working hard this holiday, and we're going to cover all of that in our segments this week. But before we get into it, we definitely want to welcome new and returning listeners to All In, the Nintendo Variety Show, where each and every Saturday, no shell is left unturned, and no point is left unearned. We thank you guys for hanging out with us this week. Uh, but sir... What's been going on? What's been going on in your world this past week?
1: Well, you know, not not too much, admittedly. I have been playing a few games, still continuing to have my mind blown by The Mandalorian. Oh my God. Yeah, no spoilers, but I think I may have actually died yesterday.
0: I, I think I'm still dead.
1: It's, I, Dude, it's just such, it's so amazing to see people Who have such a true reverence for the universe, for the intellectual property, for the characters therein? It's 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 evident in just about every frame of the show. Not just from how good the show is from a television standpoint, but how faithful it is, and how many knowing nods the show is always giving to longtime fans of the franchise.
0: This show has like so much vindication, and so much like it is. Again, I'm not going to say too much for fear of spoiling anything at all, but it is fast becoming one of my very favorite pieces of Star Wars content just ever. As somebody who has been a lifelong Star Wars fan, it's it's just such a pleasure each and every week. The Mandalorian is absurdly good. Outside of The
1: Mandalorian, I I beat Hades, technically. I escaped from the underworld for my first time, but for those who... For those who have played the game, they know that that is very much not necessarily the end of the game. Right. However, I did finally escape from the underworld, felt like a very apt metaphor for 2020. (laughs) That's fair. And with it being December now, you know, I've, I've put a little bit of time into Animal Crossing here and there, but I found myself really, really getting back into it. Obviously, we mentioned last month with the new bugs and the new fish. That December would be the month that if you'd been keeping up with it throughout the entire course, since the game came out, December would be the final bug and the final fish that you would need to finish out your, your, your Critterpedia and your museum there. So I was able to catch the pond smelt, ironically enough, we still have to wait another few days to catch the final bug until the snow starts coming down on the 11th. Yeah. But... Trying to get that finished got me back into the game, knowing that we have the Nintendo items coming early next year. That's gotten me really back into the game. So I've put quite a bit more time into Animal Crossing this week than I have in quite a
0: while. Nice. Uh, hum, hum. Grumble, grumble, grumble. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we we don't talk about Animal Crossing right now. <laughs> uh,
1: but just that and... You had Immortals Phoenix Rising that just came out. I'd like to try that. You had (laughs) Ur Ur, you Seth. You had Fire Emblem that just came out that I'd really, really like to get. So, but you got it, didn't you?
0: Yeah. Yeah, so a little grumbling of your own over there. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I missed out, hopefully I can get it soon.
0: I'm not trying to rub salt in the wound or anything. It's it but it is a gorgeous collector's edition. Um the Fire Emblem 30th Anniversary set that just came out the game of course. Um it was released, you know, widely. Uh you can get it on the eShop uh, Fire Emblem Shadow Dragon and the Blade of Light the uh you know, newly localized Uh, version of the original Famicom game. And I mean, this, this set is just gorgeous. It it is a gorgeous uh, collector's edition set, picked it up um, earlier and, and, you know, promptly unboxed it and promptly displayed it. And uh, one thing that I will shout out, you know, for folks that that may not know, um, because I didn't know this, the art book that's included is not just art from the first game, which is what I thought it was going to be. No, this is an expansive hardcover art book that covers the entire series. It has got art selections from everything up to Fire Emblem Heroes and Three Houses.
1: I didn't realize that. That's actually, that's actually really cool.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, it's a very impressive set. For only $50, I, I mean, I really feel like it's a steal. comes with the uh, the Nintendo Power. Uh, poster <laughs> essentially like if this game got a western nintendo power that's fantastic uh, cover, this is what it would be so good it's got like a full art book of course it's got the clear display nes cartridge with the game's art on it it's it's great it's it's a it's a uh, phenomenal package and i'm really happy to have it and yeah i hope you can get your hands on one i hope everybody can get their hands on one um you know the game itself is a little you know it's dated the game's 30 years old but you know, it holds up in that 30 year old sort of way. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's endearing in its flaws. Yeah. And of course they've got now, you know, there's things like permadeath that I think new uh, Fire Emblem fans that are used to the newer iterations are going to be a little uh, iffy about, but at least now they've got the rewind, uh, rewind functionality in there and stuff. So that's cool. Um That that rewind functionality is going to be abused. Oh Yes. Almost almost required, honestly, because it is not an easy game. Oh, no. Uh, so, but yeah, the big thing for me, uh, I'm on vacation right now, which is cool. I have desperately needed it. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, it's really nice to be able to just relax and catch up on sleep and catch up on games. So that's been a great time. Um, yeah, I wanted to shout out a couple of games. Uh, Jackbox Party Pack 7. Uh, My wife and I played I the reason I wanted to shout this out is because there is only one game blather round only one game on there that you can play with two players I thought that was so bizarre all of the other games in the package you have to have three or more so I have to bring it over to Hanukkah and uh and play with the family that is weird yeah i just thought that was weird like like there have been several jackbox party packs where my wife and i'll just sit on the couch and just play together but not so with this one so i wanted to shout that out as a psa to our listeners if you know you were planning on playing this with only two people might not want to pick this one up in particular (laughs) but um i I imagine like all the other jackbox games i imagine it's gonna be great for a for a you know a gathering Uh, play with family or friends so looking forward to playing more of that uh picked up Picross S5 not much to say about that it's Picross uh (laughs) it's Picross yeah I'm still (laughs) working on
1: Super Mario Picross
0: yeah so that's been a really fun little thing to sort of you know unwind with a little bit of course playing more Age of Calamity but the big thing the last thing I'll shout out the thing that was really a time sink this week oh that lobster (laughs) in Animal Crossing (laughs) Dude, I feel like I I felt myself slowly slipping into madness as I was looking for this lobster. Now, you did warn me ahead of time that the RNG on it was awful. Like your your own experience did sort of prepare me for a little bit. <laughs> Ugh. But nothing could have fully prepared me for the the breadth of issues I was going to have capturing this thing. Yeah,
1: we've been so worried about picking up that last bug and that last fish. There was also a new sea creature introduced. Uh, if you didn't get it like th- the day that sea creatures were introduced, I think you missed out on it. So for many people, this is going to be their first opportunity to catch a lobster in Animal Crossing New Horizons. And let me just tell you, folks. Uh, just uh it's it's
0: it's <sighs> bad i i i shudder at the thought so <laughs> i i came into this you know because you had told me how how awful your experience was getting it so i was like oh you know it'd be kind of funny if i kept track of like how many sea creatures it, you know how many it took me to find it right so mm-hmm. i looked at my nook mile you know kind of before and after finding it to keep track folks 387 sea creatures between me and finding the elusive lobster. And, uh, (laughs) your boy is good on deep sea diving for a while after that. (laughs) Let me tell you
1: what's the definition of insanity.
0: Yeah. Right. And and, you know, just literally between four and five hours of my gaming time this week was looking for that lobster. So, (sighs) (laughs) <laughs> I made millions of bells looking for this lobster. I mean, it was absurd. I I, I don't get it. <laughs> Nintendo, you gotta fix that. You, you gotta patch in a a better spawn rate for the lobster, please. Uh, so you know, don't don't let everybody else suffer the same fate we did. Um, but that's that's basically all that's been going on with me. I do want to shout out just real quick. Um, the game awards are happening uh, next week on the tenth. So we will have full reactions to that on next week's episode. So I just wanted to sort of preface that. Um, we are going to be covering that. Typically, we would sort of record, you know, a bit in advance of the episode going live, obviously. Um, but never fear. Next week, we will be covering the Game Awards in full. You got any last-minute predictions coming into the Game Awards? Any Anything you want to throw out there before the event happens next week?
1: Uh, just... <clears throat> I still think that Hades is going to do incredibly well. And I, yep. Uh, I'm sure animal crossing new horizons will wind up winning, uh, wind up winning best family game. Still. I think they're still going to go with something like last of us part two for game of the year. Just like the golden joysticks did.
0: Yeah. I, I'm not going to reiterate the same point I made last week. I'm just going to double down and plant my flag in that animal crossing Island. I, uh, (laughs) I'm, I'm, (laughs) that's my prediction. I'm going to go for it. I'm going to put all of my chips on Animal Crossing winning game of the year. I just, I have that feeling. I think that if there, if there's ever going to be a year for this game to win, it's going to be this one. Uh, here's an interesting one that a couple of categories I just want to quickly shout out before we move on. Um, it's so funny to me, best multiplayer Like I look at some of these things in the best multiplayer category and I'm like, if anything but Among Us wins this category, I call shenanigans. (laughs) I just, I just call shenanigans.
1: And the funny thing is the game came out a couple years ago, but it's just exploded. Just absolutely exploded right in the middle of this year. And uh, it's fantastic. If you've ever played Ultimate Werewolf, it's basically just that in video game form but it's, it's, it's a blast. I've played it a little bit on my, my smartphone this year, and it's kind of hard to, to type and chat on your smartphone, but right. I, I still had quite a bit of fun with it. No,
0: it's, it's, it's a great game. A lot of fun. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, again, we're going to go over all this stuff when it happens. Um, but yeah, I, I look at some of this stuff and I really, I do think Hades is going to clean up quite a bit just a last minute prediction i I do think hades is going to clean up quite a bit i'm going to double down on animal crossing for game of the year and if if anything but among us wins best multiplayer i do call shenanigans (laughs) so that's that's what i got (laughs) we need to find those voters yeah i gotta find those voters and go taken on them go liam neeson (laughs) on them but uh we have got no shortage of news to cover this week so what do you say we get into it let's get into it Hey,
1: listen! <laughs> I, ladies and gentlemen, I have no clue why I'm just saying that. I apologize for that. But, uh, yeah, it's it's been an interesting week for news. There have been some very interesting stories. We had a, a an incredibly interesting story come out of Fortnite this past week. So, for yeah. those who play Fortnite, you've probably been waiting on this Galactus event for a while. Chapter 2 of Fortnite... Uh, so far has been basically monopolized by this big marvel crossover that they've had going on you've got wolverine iron man black panther thor and all this this marvel goodness all building up to this huge galactus event which occurred this past week and it was it was actually a really really cool event Seth and I don't necessarily spend a lot of time with the game but yeah to be fair it was really cool you your your character essentially became a battle bus driver and everybody apparently 15 million concurrent players during the event all piloted battle buses and drove them into galactus's mouth to win this event there was even this star wars like trench run that was involved when you were driving up galactus's arm it was it was really cool i definitely recommend if you haven't seen footage of the event to seek it out but yeah the event happened and then the servers went down for fortnite and it was, this was done in preparation for the next season, which occurred, the servers were done for about eight hours. And then season five started calling, uh, it's called zero point. So we've got the Mandalorian who has already been showing up and there's, it's just all this craziness. And I've got to say to Fortnite's credit. They are continuing to update the game. They are continuing to evolve the game. They are continuing to do things to make the game successful. There's a lot of games that just kind of come out, and they may include new pieces of content, but it's Fortnite is certainly a far cry from the Xbox-exclusive Tower Defense
0: game that premiered at E3 those years ago. Yeah, you can say that again. It, it was... Fortnite has become just a an absolute juggernaut, of course. Like, it's the biggest game in the world. And it, it is crazy to see kind of where it's come and how different uh, it is from its original sort of vision. But I mean, I, I can't get over some of this stuff. Like, I, I don't play the game, but part of me kind of wishes I was into the game because this stuff is really cool. The Galactus event, the Marvel
1: thing, that was all really cool. But even beyond that there's some information that has come out that has legitimately blown my mind. Yeah. So, in this newest season of Fortnite, you are going to be able to play as the god of war himself, Kratos, on a Nintendo console. I'm still trying to
0: comprehend that. Just mind blown. I actually have seen this in person, which was bizarre. I was over uh, at my parents' house doing laundry and my nephew sitting there on his Switch light running around as Kratos with like Mimir's head on his back. I'm like, dude, you've got to be kidding me. This is crazy.
1: And even beyond that, while it hasn't been officially revealed yet, it's all but confirmed due to numerous leaks that Master Chief from the Halo franchise, from the Xbox exclusive Halo franchise, will be joining Kratos in Fortnite, presumably also being playable on a Nintendo Switch. What even is 2020 at this point?
0: I I, I don't even I, I I just don't even I will say that it got Metroid and Samus trending because a lot of people want her to be the sort of Nintendo representative in the game.
1: Yeah, you and I talked about this for a second, and here was my thoughts on it. I'll let our, our listeners know, and they can probably disagree with me. But I think that there's not a Nintendo exclusive character because they're probably, it wouldn't surprise me if there was going to be an entire Nintendo themed chapter, maybe for Mario's 35th anniversary, maybe for, you know, maybe in honor of something else opening that we'll be talking about in just a moment. But I think that we'll wind up having like probably an entire chapter of the game dedicated to Nintendo in some way. I don't know how many playable characters there's going to be. I don't know what exactly it's going to be for, but that would be my thoughts as to why we didn't have a Nintendo exclusive character when we had the PlayStation Kratos and the Xbox Master Chief representation in there.
0: Yeah. I I don't disagree with that. I also think that Nintendo is pretty protective of its intellectual property and to have a character like samus running around like that i mean they might not be super interested in that i think what's more likely is that they're either going to do something like you were talking about where they're going to theme kind of an event or, or something like that in game around nintendo if not having you play as like nintendo characters or they're just going to have some like nintendo themed items or something like that i don't think that nintendo is like unwilling to work with the biggest video game in the world um the game is done super well. I think switch is one of the leading platforms for the game. And I, I don't see Nintendo having much of a, an issue working with them, but it's, I, I think that they're a little bit more protective with their characters Um, And I think that might have something to do with it, too. But who knows? I mean, never say never. Crazier things have happened.
1: Yeah, we're playing as Kratos on a Nintendo console. Crazier things have happened. And I certainly doubt it has anything to do with the depiction of gun violence in Fortnite because it's not any different, really, from what we see in Mario Rabbit's Kingdom Battle. So I seriously doubt that has anything to do with it. Yeah,
0: I don't know that it has anything to do with gun violence uh, specifically as much as like I don't I don't know if Nintendo would feel like weird about having a character like Samus like dropped into a battle royale situation. It's it seems a little like it seems a little cheesy. Like it seems a little like over the top almost cartoony. Fortnite's kind of got this oh, yeah. Saturday morning cartoon kind of vibe and I don't know if they would want to throw in their dark, serious science fiction IP into that, you know?
1: I don't know. We'll see. I'm I'm still very, very interested. Again, we don't talk about Fortnite too often on this show, but this was absolutely worth mentioning just from the bonkers week that the game has had, especially in regards to Nintendo Switch players. So... I don't know. It's it's honestly making me think about spending some more time on it, redownloading the app and spending some more time in the world of
0: Fortnite. I mean, hey, if if you want to like link up and do some uh, some duos <laughs> or something, maybe I'll give the game a real shot and we'll play there together. There you go. I'm down.
1: <laughs> but, yeah, we have another story. We have another new story that might even be weirder than that, though.
0: Dude, this... This was such an interesting story. I honestly had no idea this was a thing.
1: Well, it's been going on for so long, but to let people know what we're talking about, back in 2003, there was a magician by the name of Udo Geller that uh, made waves by claiming that the Pokemon Kadabra was directly based off of him and was claiming copyright infringement because they were using his likeness because Kadabra is shown to be bending spoons, which is kind of Mr. Geller's stick.
0: Yeah. So t- to be honest, um, he-, he did end up winning this suit because uh, <laughs> it's just true. Kadabra is kind of objectively a reference to him because uh, Kadabra's name in the Japanese, the original Japanese uh, is actually Yungera or Yuri Gera. And so like even though it's Kadabra here in in Japan it is sort of an overt reference to him and the you know he's famous for the spoon bending and stuff like that he sort of popularized that he is definitely the most prolific magician to uh, to do the uh, the spoon bending which of course Kadabra is known for as well so
1: it's still weird though because I, it's still I there were so many different outlets that could very easily get away with something like that as a matter of parody. So it was weird that Nintendo was hit for it.
0: Yeah, he seemed, I I actually, I was looking at this. He just seemed to really take issue with it. He, and I think a lot of it was because of the narrative. I mean, you and I, you know, being in the thick of Pokemon during this time in the late 90s, early 2000s, you know, as well as I do, the kind of like occult you know like narrative that people were trying to throw around pokemon and i think that had a lot to do with it and as a matter of fact i've got a quote from him here back then when he said quote nintendo turned me into an evil occult pokemon character nintendo stole my identity by using my name and my signature image and on the strength of that and on the strength of everything around it He ended up winning that and Kadabra has not appeared on a printed Pokemon card since 2003.
1: (laughs) But now here in 2020, he just says, "Eh, you know what? I'm over it. Go ahead. Do what you want. Just 17 years later, randomly just (laughs) saying, yeah, I don't care anymore.
0: He says on Twitter here, quote, I'm truly sorry for what I did 20 years ago. Kids and grownups, I am releasing the band. It's now all up to Nintendo to bring my Kadabra Pokemon card back. It will probably be one of the rarest cards now. Much energy (laughs) and love to all.
1: He's trying to drive up interest. That's all he was trying to do for 17 years.
0: I mean, maybe. I I had never heard of this story. I I was completely unaware of this until this happened. And then he has a follow-up tweet here where he says, quote, I never realized how powerful and important it was for me to lift the band on Yung slash Kadabra, especially for all the kids around the world. I'm sorry for what I did 20 years ago, but you can learn from mistakes even more and that you can learn from success. Hashtag Kadabra hashtag Pokemon. So, (laughs) I mean, that's cool. That's cool. A cool, you know, change of heart there, but how funny, what an interesting story. When something that happened 17 years ago, all of a sudden
1: becomes relevant again. It's just, and again, it it has to do with a magician who took legal action against Pokemon because of is it actually just copyright infringement? I
0: mean, it's definitely. I, I think that in the modern day, like if Nintendo were to do this in the modern day, it probably would fall under some sort of parody thing. But again, I think because of everything that was swirling around Pokemon at the time, I think that just in in the court's eyes. I think that just gave him the leg up in that argument.
1: Well, I certainly have experience with people who have certain unfavorable views of Pokemon and I might be touching I might <laughs> be touching on that a little bit later. You don't mean the <laughs> devil stuff. <laughs> <laughs> is it the devil? Who knows? Is it the devil stuff? Who knows?
0: <laughs> Stay tuned.
1: <laughs> it's good to see that happen though, but Seth, would you say that uh, Mr. Geller is firm on his conviction of releasing the band? Oh, I'm sorry. Oh. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh man, it hurts. <laughs> oh, it hurts. That's the worst seg. The worst segue in the history of our show. I mean,
0: it, that is the current. It currently has the crown. It currently. I'm sorry, has the everybody, crown, but that's okay. Uh, what Eric was just referencing is that this week saw the release of Nintendo Switch firmware update eleven point zero point zero, and. This was, you know, a numbered firmware update. So, of course, some substan- uh, some substantial things came with it. Uh, still no themes, Nintendo. We would like to see that, please. Yeah, no themes, no folders. Oh, what's going on? It's been out for almost four years. Yeah, or folders. But anyway, what it did bring was a couple of interesting kind of minor changes. Um, so the biggest one, I think, for me and for many people, is the new... NSO Nintendo Switch Online sort of hub. Yep, that there is uh on the bottom of the home screen now. There's there's been a big to do online. Everybody's so upset that the icon is not grayed out like the other icons. I, I mean, I don't know how you feel about it. For me, I'm like, it, it's fine. It's just an icon. It doesn't bother me. It, but consistency. I mean, people are like actually upset. Like actually upset. So. I don't know. But the the NSO hub admittedly is pretty cool. When you log into it, you you hit the icon, you go into this hub and it has sort of got this kind of nice neat place to collect all of the Nintendo Switch Online benefits, including the NES and Super NES online functionality. Now, the you know, the the apps are still the apps, you still do have those apps available. But it is kind of cool the way they have cataloged all of the games in the apps by their release year and stuff like that. There's a fun little birthday uh, teaser, a little birthday Easter egg in there. That's kind of fun. Did you notice that? I did not. I did not see that. Yeah. So what they'll do in, in during your birthday month, if you look through the catalog there, uh, if there is a game released in your birthday month, it will tell you uh the proximity to your birthday it was so it'll have a little birthday cake icon and if you look at say like you know kirby's adventure or something like that and it's like you were you know one when this (laughs) came out or you were whatever when this came out you know that is actually pretty cool so that was kind of (laughs) cute it was kind of cute and then of course you can launch straight into the game if you have the apps downloaded which is it's really nice really smooth functionality i really like it a lot um This kind of plays into what I sort of suspect those mysterious uh, updates were that we saw happen earlier this week to the uh, NES and SNES online apps. So, yes, I think that probably all sort of played together, to be honest with you. Um, I think it was just sort of a patch to both of those to make it play nicely with the new NSO hub. But, um, but yeah, it's cool. You can go in and download all of the, uh, all the free stuff for NSO. You can take advantage of exclusive offers on there. And uh, it's just a nice, clean hub for that stuff. I, I have no issue with it. And for
1: those who are big into sharing photos and posting to social media and stuff like that, yeah, uh, there's been a lot made of the ease of use that the new update uh, allows for that now as well.
0: Yeah, now you can it's it's way easier now. You don't have to post it to face if I want to here here's just as an example. If I wanted to take a video and post it to Facebook or Twitter, I would have to post it individually to Facebook or Twitter or if I wanted to have it on my computer, I would have to then go in And download it. Now you have a couple of options where you can hook up your switch via USB and instantly file transfer onto your computer, or you can take advantage of a new system that they patched in with this firmware update, where you can take advantage of a QR code that you can scan with your smartphone and instantly download the pictures or videos that way. And it's very smooth, very seamless, and, and it's a really happy addition for me. As somebody who does like to share stuff on social media, it, does, uh, it, it is a welcome change. But that certainly wasn't all because they uh, they also added some uh, Super Mario 35 icons, which I know you and I both basically instantly changed our icons.
1: <laughs> yeah, they added some Super Mario Brothers 35th anniversary icons, and I'm probably never going to change mine from the Mario Galaxy one they added. You know, I,
0: I've been uh, Cass from Breath of the Wild for so long, and it felt weird not being Cass. But the second <laughs> I saw that Mario 3 box art, Mario in the Tanuki suit, I just... I, I got to do it. You just got to do it.
1: Yeah. I like the photos. I like the NSO online app, but honestly, probably the biggest thing for me out of this was just those avatars. Again, still waiting on folders, still waiting on themes, but it is nice that they are still updating the the hub and the UI for the Nintendo switch. But to be fair, it's, I mean, we know Nintendo has been busy just this past week. We discovered that super Nintendo world in Japan is going to be opening up very soon. February 4th, as a matter of fact.
0: I I think that this is where good people go when they die. <laughs> Super <laughs> Nintendo world. It just looks amazing. My goodness. They, they showed some new images and, and it just rainbows shot out of my eyes. <laughs> I, I, I
1: need it. It genuinely looked like concept art or something. It didn't look like photos. It just looked like something that they had dreamed up that they were that they had wanted to do, it didn't look like it could be real.
0: Just the the shots from the Mario Kart ride, like the inside leading up to this big Bowser statue, to the actual like physical trophies mm-hmm. of the cups in the game. Oh my goodness, it's beautiful. It and really the AR, is. Ar like headsets and the. Oh, I, I'm just like I just I have never I've wanted to visit Japan for a long, long time. But it is a mighty need now.
1: <laughs> well, if the American version looks anything like or anything nearly as impressive as the Japanese Super Mario World, then you and I are going to need tickets post
0: haste. Oh, yeah. We, we need to plan a, uh, a trip to Orlando when that one happens for sure.
1: Ironically enough, this story seemed to be broken by Jeff Keighley.
0: Yeah, he definitely was quick to the punch on that. Yeah, he he definitely was sort of quick to it, where uh, you know they sort of announced that, and I think a lot of people picked it up from Jeff sharing it. So yeah, that that was kind of funny, and uh, man, I, I just again these these pictures, it's almost it almost makes me like emotional to see this stuff realized in the real world. Like Nintendo is something that's obviously very special to you and I. I mean, we have a Nintendo podcast, of course, but. To to see these things, it's almost like vindication. It's almost like, oh my goodness, to see this stuff represented in like IRL, <laughs> as it were. It just almost like, it's like, ah, see, like I knew I didn't waste my time playing video games all these years. I
1: just, well, speaking of all these years, that's just what I keep going back to is, you know, Christmas morning. 30 some odd years ago waking up and going down and just on this little gray box playing this horribly pixelated red and gray and Brown game on my CRTV back in, back in 1989 and to see where that has come now. The fact that it's this all encompassing media juggernaut all over the world. Now you've got Mario and, Donkey Kong and Pokemon and Legend of Zelda and just all of these legendary fictional intellectual properties that are on par with just about anything else in fiction in the world right now. And with video games still being the fastest growing industry in the world, I think it's been the fastest growing industry in the world for a solid decade and a half now. Right. I mean, talk about humble beginnings, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, it definitely is. And again, it just... It is staggering to me to see how good some of this stuff looks. It it's not some like hokey, you know, low rent. Like this looks lifted straight out of the game into the real world. They have done a phenomenal job. The the park looks wonderful. And I can't wait to see it for myself.
1: Genuinely, the only thing about it that makes me sad is I really wish a Watasan could have seen it. Me
0: too, because with plans like these, they're so long in motion, you know. He must have had some kind of hand in at least like getting the ball rolling for that. He must have known that this was coming one day, you know?
1: Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure he had a hand in at least the initial discussions. I don't know how long it takes to make something like this a reality from concept to completion, but I have to imagine he was at least aware of it before he passed. So so when you and I do finally get to show up to Super Nintendo World, I think you and I are definitely going to have him in our
0: thoughts. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But to sort of uh, round out the news here, we have got a lot of sort of just release information. Um, First of all, I guess the first thing we should cover here is that Doom Eternal finally has got a release date. And it's real soon. (laughs) It's actually coming out on Tuesday, December the 8th. Uh, Again, digitally, of course, on the Switch. The physical version was canceled. Uh, So it is digital only on the Switch. But yeah, December 8th, finally coming out. So if you've been
1: waiting this long to play Doom Eternal just for it to be released on the Switch, you only have to wait three more days if you're listening to this episode the day it comes out.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it's Panic Button doing the port again. They did the fantastic port of the first game, so I'm I'm sure they're going to do a phenomenal job again. So for the folks who've been waiting on the Switch port to play the game, your wait is almost over. We also got the announcement of the Saga Frontier remaster. Yeah, I was
1: really excited about this. Yeah,
0: that's pretty cool, right? I I, kind of out of nowhere, Square Enix uh, kind of announced this coming out next summer. Yeah, remakes and remasters are very chic these
1: days, but it is still interesting to see a game that most people kind of felt like had been forgotten, very much a cult classic in Square's catalog, but... You know, right. even as popular as remakes and remasters are these days, I don't think anybody had this on their radar at all.
0: Yeah, no. I And, and I'm looking at this stuff and I'm like, man, 2021 is going to be a crazy year for RPGs. Yeah.
1: And from just the, the great art direction that Saga Frontier had back on the PS1, I'm very, very interested to see what it's going to look like on the Nintendo Switch. Because... It feels like with this generation, they'll finally be able to express that art direction the way they truly want it to. Right,
0: right. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it, man. It's it's really cool to see a lot of this stuff kind of finding new life on the Switch in the modern day. I'm just, I'm sitting here like, where's Chrono Trigger? Yeah. <laughs> God, could you imagine? I, I if, they, if they had a Chrono Trigger remaster, not even remaster really, just throw it up on the Switch and I'll buy it.
1: <laughs> well, we did have something in the realm of RPG, something else in the realm of RPGs as well. It wasn't Chrono Trigger necessarily, but we did get an official release date for Persona 5 Strikers on the Switch, which a lot of people yeah. have been looking forward to. So that is coming next year, February 23rd.
0: Yeah, a lot of people have been looking forward to this for a long time. I'm I'm excited to play it. It's... Uh... The kind of, it is kind of a direct sequel to Persona 5. It does take place, I think like three to six months after the events of Persona 5. And it's a Musou, but it's kind of, it's maybe the most unique Musou that exists because it does still incorporate a lot of the Persona elements. So kind of like how Age of Calamity is like a Musou game, but it's kind of got its own spin on it. This is very much in that vein and uh, I'm very intrigued, and look, if if enough people buy this, maybe it'll convince Atlas to go ahead and release the vanilla Persona 5 on the Switch. I
1: still have no clue why in the world that's even a thing, but I, But yeah, hopefully we do finally get Persona 5 eventually on the Switch. It's, it almost seems to me as if they said to themselves, you know what, Jokers in Smash, we have to have something on a Nintendo console where you can play as <laughs> them.
0: Yeah, I I mean you could have done that by just putting out the game, but you know, that's neither here nor there.
1: <laughs> the only thing I can think, there has to be some licensing, some prior agreement, something going on. It's I can't imagine that was the intent. That that was that they're not doing it because there's no interest in it. But Who knows? Again, I'm sure you're right. If there's enough interest in Persona 5 Strikers, hopefully we can finally move Persona 5 proper onto the Nintendo Switch at some point in the near future. I would very much like to see that happen just like many, many other people. But ending out the list of release announcements, we actually got a new demo, a notable new demo added to the Switch eShop. If you have never tried the Platinum Classic, the Wonderful 101, They just added a new wonderful demo to the switch eShop. It's about two hours long. They even threw in Bayonetta into the demo, which I think is fantastic. So if you've ever looked at it, you've heard everybody talk about how great it is. If you've never actually pulled the trigger on it, now you've got the demo out so that you can finally experience at least part of the game for yourself.
0: Yeah. So it's about two hours of the game. It's going to be the game's prologue mission and all the first operation. Um, and you can actually just like we've seen happen a lot with some of these switch games you can carry forward your save data into the full version of the game if you choose to buy it Uh, you can play as bayonetta or wonder bayonetta that is Mm -hmm. in the demo uh, which is cool and they did update the game itself to include a new wonderful code feature where you can input codes to unlock uh, wonder bayonetta wonder gene and uh, wonder rodan So that's pretty cool.
1: I mean, it's just a great game. Very, I'm so, so happy they were able to get Wonderful 101 remastered back on the Switch. That was a, that
0: was even a Kickstarter. It was. Yeah, I backed it on Kickstarter. I'm I'm one of the wonder backers. And, uh, and yeah, it's, (laughs) it's great. It's, it's a great game. It runs well on Switch. It's a great port. Uh, Plays well with a, with the Switch Pro controller. So I, I can definitely recommend it. I can definitely recommend. It. There's a lot of content there too.
1: I just really wish so-called video game analysts would look at all of these projects that become so wildly successful on Kickstarter because everybody else has told them that there's no interest. <laughs> right. I mean, that's exactly. I just, I don't know. Quick little rant, but this is exactly what happened with Ukulele. It's exactly what happened with Bloodstain. This is exactly what happened with Mighty Number no. Nine. All of these amazing creators we're told that there's no interest in a new Banjo-Kazooie game. There's no interest in a new Mega Man style game. There's no interest in a Metroidvania style Castlevania game. And, you know, they go on Kickstarter, they go on a crowdfunding source, and they become wildly, ridiculously successful. It just, it, it frustrates me to no end how often video game analysts are shown consistently that they have absolutely no clue what they're talking about. And I... I really wish that people would start looking at what's going on. Yes, a lot of people bemoan the fact that so many franchises, you know, there, there there are so many franchises and relatively few new IPs coming from major studios. But the reason there's so many franchises is because there's a lot of fans of those franchises, people who want to see new installments, people who are invested in those games that want to see, want to continue the journey with those characters and with that universe. So for these major developers to just show complete and total disregard for their own properties It's just so endlessly frustrating and it makes me happy that there are platforms out there like Kickstarter, like GoFundMe, like all these wonderful, wonderful programs and apps out there to help these amazing creators prove to people that, yes, we very much would like to see this come to fruition. We very much want this to happen regardless of what all the higher ups at all these video game companies say. So hopefully, eventually they'll learn, yes, we would really love to see a new Banjo game Yes, we would still love to see a lot of Metroidvania style Castlevania games. Yes, we would absolutely love to see new Mega Man games. I think Mega Man 11 uh the sales for Mega Man 11 was proof enough of that. So rant over, but guys, get your get your get your act together, please.
0: Yeah, no I agree. And I think some of those those uh, scenarios you called out specifically probably like I do think we're going to get another Mega Man. But that being said, I think that the point still stands that for the vast majority of these cases where there's a lot of like quote unquote dead franchises that people would like to see come back because of analysts and marketing and things like this saying that, Oh, it wouldn't be worth it to do today. It's like, well, might want to rethink that because there are plenty of people that would love like, like banjo three, you know, I even talked on the show about uh, Steve Mails and, and sort of like his take on banjo three and stuff like this. And um, I, I get it. Like I get the logic, but I also think that there there's a huge swath of fans that would flock back to a new Banjo. Three, I don't think it's gonna it's not the kind of thing that would be like uh you know it's not gonna sell 50 million units or something. But there's there's the a whole other conversation that we could spend the next hour talking about. We're talking about dollars versus you know cachet with fans versus goodwill. You know, but that's a whole other that's a whole other conversation.
1: Yes. So download the demo, play Wonderful 101. Please support the game if you can. Let's continue to show these video game analysts and these video game corporate bigwigs that they have no clue about what's going on, that they're so far removed from the pulse of the video game industry that they need to start letting people who have a clue what's going on make some decisions. So, I you know, I I love the demo. I love the game. I love Platinum. The fact that Platinum was reduced to going on Kickstarter for something like that, that a developer like Platinum was reduced to going on Kickstarter to crowdfund a project like that is, it's really saddening. But uh, yes, please go download the demo, support Platinum, support their amazing games, because
0: I heart them. (laughs) I heart them too. But if you guys check out the demo for the wonderful 101 Remastered, please reach out to us and let us know. We are always looking to talk about awesome games. We are at All In Podcast on Facebook and on Twitter. And please subscribe to us on whatever service you're listening to us on and leave us some nice reviews. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much for hanging out with us every week.
1: And right here at the end of the news drop, just a reminder that Immortals, Phoenix Rising, and Fire Emblem are out now. They are available now for purchase for the Nintendo Switch. So if you do plan on picking up the physical versions of those games, do be careful. Again, it is holiday shopping season. Be careful while you're out there and do please be respectful of the retail workers that are assisting you. And, you know, we did really want to kind of pay tribute to all of the retail workers and merchants and store owners out there for this episode, because, They do really kind of get a bad rap. They are very underappreciated a lot of the time. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So we figured they deserved a little bit of representation. So for our Indie Showcase this week, we're actually playing a game where you play a shop owner, where you actually play a retail adventurer warrior. We are talking about 11-Bit Studios Moonlighter. So we are talking about Moonlighter from 11-Bit Studios and Digital Sun.
0: Seth, what do you think about Moonlighter? You know, I really, really like this game a lot. I was really impressed. I, you know, you had told me about it a while ago. I think you even talked about it a little bit here on the show when you were playing it. I did, yeah. And yeah, like I got to say, the game went on sale and I picked it up. The game and its DLC. and Finally got around to playing it, and I, I, I'm i not going to lie, I got kind of sucked into it this week. Yeah, I
1: have kind of wound up doing the same thing. It's incredibly addictive. It's got a really, really good loop on it. My friend spent a long time recommending the game to me, and it's not like I wasn't trying to play the game. It's just... There are so many games. It's very much a a curse of riches on the Nintendo switch when it comes to games, because there's so many good games and they're constantly releasing. So I I just felt myself waterlogged with amazing titles, but I was finally able to sit down. I I made her a promise that I was going to play it. I was finally able to sit down a while back and I picked up the game and I played through it. And just like you, it just, it sucked me in. I, It's just very much the one more run mentality. And Mm -hmm. I lost hours and hours very, very easily to that game. But let's get into it. So in Moonlighter, you play as Will. Will is the owner of the titular store. Yes, the store that you run in this game is called Moonlighter. That's where the game gets its title from, or maybe where the store gets its name from. I don't know. It's a chicken or the egg yeah. situation, I guess.
0: I've, it's a, it's a clever title. Yeah. You know, I, I like it.
1: Yeah. Uh, very much a play on words because Will himself moonlights as a dungeon adventurer. So the store that this town is based in had a long time ago been, uh, d- visited, Inundated? I mean, kind of... What's the right word for it? Essentially what happened is portals to five separate dungeons just randomly opened up right outside this little village. Right. These just weird portals that takes people to these Zelda-like dungeons. They just opened up outside of this town. And because of that, adventurers from all over came to try to test their metal in these dungeons to try to plunder the riches to try to test their strength against the monsters therein and because of that the village itself grew enormously it became a hot spot for a lot of people and there became a lot of and a lot of successful businesses sprouted up there to cater to these adventurers and moonlighter was one of them however the game takes place After kind of that adventuring boom, uh, after the adventurers stopped coming, after they decided it was getting too dangerous, after they decided the stuff inside the dungeons wasn't really worth it. So adventurers stopped coming, people stopped coming to the shops because of it, and eventually the village whittled back down to even less of what its original size was. So when you start the game, you're basically a shop owner in a town
0: that has like two or three buildings in it. Right. Yeah. And it's, well, and, and that's sort of like, like when you come into this and you get like a little bit of backstory and stuff, like you just explained, but it really does feel like the game's got a really beautiful sense of progression in more ways than one in like building up your character, because this is an, a role-playing game um, in building up your shop and in building up the town itself. Yes. So when it comes to
1: the shop, at least, you are initially given the task of bringing the shop Moonlighter back to its former glory by going through Mm -hmm. this first dungeon, by getting items from this first dungeon to place inside your shop. Now, ultimately, you will wind up uncovering some mysteries between all of the dungeons, but your initial motivation is just to kind of save your shop and you know when it comes to a lot of video games and especially dungeon crawlers and roguelikes it's the the dungeon run aspect that most people always talk about and that's certainly there however i was kind of surprised to see that actually running your shop in this game is a major part
0: of the gameplay oh huge huge part of the gameplay. And what's, what's nice about basically everything in this game mechanically is that it is all just as well considered. It is just as fun and interesting to run the shop as it is to go into the dungeons, which must have been very hard to do.
1: Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> now you start off with a really small shop. You start off with just a couple display shelves where you can place items that you've gotten by adventuring in the dungeons, but you do find that you can, there are upgrades to your shop that you can get. There are upgrades to various things within the shop that you can get. Ultimately you'll get the ability to outfit your shop with different decorations and accessories. So you start fairly small, but your shop, especially toward the end of the game becomes pretty impressive. So and even in addition to the shop, as you continue to add more expensive and more impressive items to your shop and as you continue to upgrade it, running the shop itself actually becomes more complicated. It's not just about uh, the space that you have to place items. Just the the loop of running the shop becomes more more involved. You get the ability to. Uh, like thieves will actually come in and try to steal your stuff and you'll get to the point where you have animals come in to try to disrupt your customers. And you can even get to the point where you have an assistant for your shop, which is really, really cool. So, uh, it's not just something where you take some items, put them on a shelf and then that's it. The actual gameplay loop of running the shop is really satisfying.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's so important, right? Because when you're dealing with this game's, you know, this game's core premise essentially is that, you know, by day you are running this shop Mm -hmm. that you are, you know, selling the items that you're acquiring and the dungeons that you're running by night. So, I mean, that's, that's the basic premise of this game, but both sides of that are very deep and very satisfying. And I think that's so important. It would have been so easy for this game to just be a very by the numbers roguelike, you know, dungeon crawling action game. But it's also a really involved town building, role-playing, like shopping simulator almost, to, you know, all the little mechanical nuance, the being able to set your own prices and gauging what your customers are happy with paying and having to deal with demand and not flooding your own market and things like this. It's really smart, surprisingly deep, and incredibly addictive.
1: Yeah, because that is an actual thing. You can set the price for each of the items that you put out. Your customers can actually choose not to buy the items at that price. So it does become it, it does become this interesting kind of... It, it does become a really interesting give and take when it comes yeah. to that. And that feeds into the... The, the dungeon crawling mechanic, which feeds back into the shop mechanic. And that's really what makes this game so addictive is the fact that the two halves, the two main halves of the gameplay loop just feed so effortlessly into each other. It's very, very easy to say, oh man, well, I just, I got to go get that one thing so I can do this with it. And then you go get it, you bring it back. And then that feeds into, well, okay, well, when I do this with the shop, okay, well, now I got to go do this and bring this back. And it's just, there's, it always feels like you're one little thing away from getting something significant done. And God, I just lost so many hours saying to myself, oh, I just need this one little thing.
0: Yeah. It's one of the, I mean, one of, if not the most addictive roguelike gameplay loops I've ever encountered. And I'm not typically a guy who plays a ton of roguelikes, but When something like this is, like, so smartly designed, it it just got its hooks into me, man. And, yeah, like, when you factor in things like the fact that you can craft and upgrade your armor and weapons and sort of build your character up, and you've actually got quite a, a bit of options in terms of your armor and weaponry and, like, having to go in to, like, get the materials for that from certain dungeons and whatnot, it's, like, so... Everything feeds into everything else <laughs> in this game.
1: Yeah, that's basically the best way to put it. Now, a lot of the money that you're going to get will be going toward upgrading your own shop. However, you can use money to entice other shop owners back into yes. the town. You're you basically use the money to open up other shops in your town and like you just mentioned about the forge where you can create and refine the weapons and armor that you'll use when you're going through the dungeons there are uh, several other shops that you'll use we talked very briefly about how you can get decorations for your own store that's another one of the shops that you can bring into your town there's also a potion and weapon and armor enhancement shop there's even a shop beyond that so one of the most rewarding things, I mean, the gameplay loop we've already mentioned is incredibly addictive, incredibly satisfying. But one of the most rewarding things in the game is going from this town that has basically just your shop and one or two other buildings to by the end of the game and even post game, kind of being this bustling new town with, yeah, you know, a bunch of different buildings, a bunch of different shops, and all of these new adventurers and new spectators and new passerby all walking around the town just the amount that your town grows from the beginning to the end of the game seeing all these new faces come in and seeing all the changes that occur throughout the course of the game i found really satisfying there's something wholesome about that
0: like it's satisfying and there's something like you you feel good like you feel like you are bringing life and returning all this stuff to its former glory and and, and you're sort of doing the right thing. And, and and I like that sort of message a lot, especially when on the face of it, it seems like something of a Herc- uh, Herculean task and and overcoming those odds. I, I really like that. I like that kind of underlying theme of it all. But um, but man, like we, we haven't even touched on the dungeons themselves like no. that such a huge part of it. Is at night when you're going into the, into the dungeons and it becomes this roguelike procedurally generated combat, very Zelda inspired experience. And even, and that's excellent too.
1: (laughs) Now, and when we say Zelda inspired, literally one of the first things you are told in this game is quote, it's dangerous to go alone. Take this.
0: I mean, yeah, I mean, they knew exactly what they were doing, right?
1: Yes, the dungeon layout is very, very heavily inspired by the original Zelda title. I wouldn't even see Link to the Past because Link to the Past had a lot of really big open areas and the dungeons in Moonlighter are all kind of single room affairs.
0: Single rooms sort of like mostly combat focused versus puzzle focused, although there there are some puzzle elements that appear, um but but for the most part primarily combat focused uh single room Kind of you know room by room dungeons.
1: Yeah, and we've already mentioned the forge where you can get weapons and armor to go adventuring in these dungeons. the The different weapons you have access to, very much like Link, you have a sword and a shield. You have a long sword, a great sword, a broadsword, whatever you want to call it. You have gauntlets you have a bow and arrow and you have a spear i believe as the different weapons that you can equip and there are a ton of different variations a ton of different versions of each one of those weapons and you can have up to two equipped at any time so you can have a short sword and the shield equipped and then you can have the great sword equipped and by hitting the l and r buttons you can switch between them on the fly and each weapon has a primary attack and a secondary attack. So you know the the combat itself is not super involved,
0: but it's it's as deep as I think it needs to be, yeah well, and there's there are a few things that make it a little bit more interesting, so also in your arsenal um all of these things you you attack you know on a standard level just with the with the a button, but all of them have something of a secondary attack. Um, with the B button, or you know, in the case of the sword and shield, you can block or do kind of a charge shot with a bow and arrow, or the you know the very again Zelda-inspired uh, spin attack. Oh yeah, with the great sword. Yes, we get it. Game, you've played Zelda. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you've got those options available. And then you've also got a kind of like dodge roll, which uh, comes in very handy. Yes, you're going to use that a lot. Yeah, used for not only, you know, traversal to like go over, you know, over land and and like gaps in the land and stuff like this, but also used uh, pretty heavily in combat situations. So that's another major part of your arsenal. And one of the things I really like about this game is the way that you can kind of tailor your playstyle. I, I really encourage you guys to kind of experiment and find the weapon combination that works for you and kind of play around with all of them. And I also encourage you to kind of go down the path in terms of your armor and stuff that suits your playstyle. Like for me, I really liked having fast movement. And so I kind of went for the more like light armor style, but my favorite. Weapon type was still the great sword. So I was kind of moving around quickly and nimbly, but I had this big, heavy, high damage great sword that I was using primarily. So I I encourage you to kind of play around and and tinker and, and find what works for you because the game does have quite a few options for that.
1: And that being said, the enemy variety in the game is pretty impressive. You're going to find it is you're going to find a lot of different attack patterns with these enemies and learning their attack patterns and learning how to maneuver in between different enemies with these different attack patterns uh, will be a a huge determining factor in your success because it's not just something where you have bacoblins and a couple whiz robes uh, again, there's right. there's a pretty impressive amount of enemy variety, and the enemies themselves have some pretty uh, varied attack patterns. So, it's going to take you a while to learn them. It's a good thing you have plenty of time and plenty of loops to go through these dungeons.
0: Yeah, yeah. You're. I mean, you you have to. You you just have to take your time, learn them. Because of the nature of it being procedurally generated, you're going to encounter those kind of moments like you do in roguelikes, right? Yeah. You're going to have those moments of frustration and things like this. So
1: tell us about that,
0: Seth. Oh yeah. I can give you, I can give you a really good example. Um, so we should talk for a second about, because this story will make a little bit more sense and and it'll drive this home a little bit more. If we talk about the concept of your bag space, which is a huge part of the the dungeon crawling element, because, you do have a limited amount of items that you can carry both on your person and in your backpack. You can't just, you know, hoard every single thing you find. Um, you you will have to sort of like manage your inventory quite a bit. And, and the, there's actually some really interesting mechanics that play with that. So I've loaded up my bag. Yep. And I'm kind of like scraping by in this combat situation by, you know, by the skid of my teeth. And it was getting to the point where, because, you know, if you die, you if you die in the dungeon, you keep the items that you have in your person, of which there's only a handful of slots, but the things that are in your bag, you lose. So I was going to take advantage of the fact that, oh man, if I make it out of this combat situation, I'm just going to loot the chest in this room, and then I'm going to port back to town safely and not lose all these items, not risk death, blah, blah, blah. So. I I like get through this combat situation. It was like a nail biting kind of combat. And then I get through it. I'm like, "Whoo! all right, let's hit this chest and go home. And the chest happens to be a mimic, which for folks who don't know, a a mimic is sort of a a thing that looks like a chest, but is actually an enemy. And and the mimic kills me. And I lose all of my items in the bag and stuff like that's just going to happen. You guys, (laughs) I'm sorry, but that's funny. It was funny, but it was definitely like, ah, (laughs) so just be patient. Things like this are going to happen. It comes with the territory of roguelikes. Oh yes. Oh yes. Oh yes.
1: I do want to talk again about the bag space again, because when it comes to the bag space, they've done some really, really interesting things with that. I would honestly call them puzzle elements.
0: Almost because the placement of things actually matters.
1: Exactly. Now, Again, you can loot, you can take whatever you want back to the town with you. You have a couple options. If you find a, a door, if you find a portal back to town, you can use that. But a lot of the times when you're going through these dungeons, once you have found enough items on that run, you'll use an item that allows you to immediately teleport back to town. Now it does this at the cost of some money, but right. that's going to be your main method of exiting the dungeons throughout the game. But when you exit the dungeons, a lot of different quote unquote curses take effect. A lot of the items that you can pick up throughout the course of these dungeon runs, the items themselves have different effects on the bag itself. So Mm -hmm. you can have, uh, let me just give you a quick example. You can have an item that may have a curse that says when you exit the dungeon, this will destroy the item to its ex- to its immediate
0: right. Yes. So it may be beneficial for you to put that thing all the way to the right so that there's nothing to its immediate right and it'll destroy nothing, you know?
1: Exactly. And there are items that can only be placed on the top or the bottom of the bag inventory space. There are items that can only be placed on the far left or the far right of the inventory bag yep. space. And there are several other items different uh curses that come into effect here and again it's you would think it would get really annoying but for some reason that it i never really found it annoying i always felt it interesting oh no how to it's cuz managing your bag space not just you don't just blindly loot everything that you find of a lot of the time especially when you get deeper into the dungeons where the better items are you find yourself having to really jig with your bag to find out okay well if i put this here then i can put this here if i do this i can put this here and again it almost be it almost becomes like puzzle elements like you're solving a problem versus dealing with you know a a
0: gameplay issue exactly well and, and in any other game right this this would sound awful this would sound so cumbersome and annoying but Moonlighter, because of the the many systems that it has in play, because of these almost like light puzzle elements that it adds to even something like Bag Space, uh, it, it just makes it fun like that. Like even that is really fun, and I liked having to actually think about the things that I was bringing home. And the they they have a really handy like wish list mechanic where yes, if there are and I've made liberal use of that. When there are things that you have to, uh, certain items that you're going to need to upgrade or craft, um, you can actually have them be highlighted in the world as you pick them up. So you kind of know what you need when you need it. And uh, man, it's just a lot of, everything in this game is just so smartly designed and everything serves to feed into that addictive loop. And anything that sounds like on the face of it could be frustrating isn't the game manages to make it all work flawlessly and make it fun. Really impressed. I think when it comes specifically to the, the bag space
1: manipulation, I think one of the big things about that is there are several different so called curses that can actually be really beneficial if you take advantage of them correctly. Uh, There's one specifically that will turn an item that's adjacent to whatever item it is into that item. Now, initially on the surface, that might seem like a bad thing. However, a lot of those curses are had by very expensive items. And what you can do is you can put a really, you can put a full stack of really cheap items next to it because you can stack items. You can have stacks of five or 10 of many of the smaller items. So if you put a stack of five next to this item, it will become that more expensive item. And you'll go from having something that you can sell for 50 coins into 500 coins.
0: Yeah, and then and by the way, this is also something that I took advantage of several times for side quests uh, or side jobs that you can pick up. Uh, As you make a little bit of progression and you upgrade your shop a little bit, you can pick up side jobs. And that's just another layer to it all. And I took liberal advantage of that curse uh, in quotes to, to fulfill a few of those. So that's just one example of the ways that you can kind of, if you're smart about it, utilize these things to your advantage.
1: Yeah. We've already talked about the day and night cycle. There is actually a straight up calendar cycle in this game and the side jobs that Seth is talking about. You can take from customers that come into your store and just very briefly, They will ask, they can ask for a certain item and a certain number of items for you to gather for them, and they'll give you a vastly increased price for them. However, you only have a few day cycles, three or four days, sometimes a week at most to get these done. So in addition to going on adventures, in addition to running your shop, you also now have a calendar essentially to keep up with. There's even a bank in the game that makes use of this. Yep. So it can, It this game, even as simple as it seems, can actually be kind of overwhelming sometimes if you start to bite off a little bit more than you can chew. There were a couple side quests I wound up completely forgetting about and wound up failing just because I had, you know, passed the, the
0: due date. yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of plates to spin, but again, if you can sort of reckon with that, you you can get some serious rewards for it. Oh yes, and uh, and yeah, it, it's it's all about you know management and being smart about the way that you loot, and uh, and I think that's really impressive the way they handle that. By the way, another quick thing: I don't want to spoil some of the stuff that will happen in the dungeons or whatever, because I think a lot of the enjoyment that I got out of this game comes from some of the sense of discovery in that very kind of old school NES original Zelda kind of way. uh, I will say be thorough in the dungeons. Um, There are probably more to it than you expect Um, and read all the notes that you find. (laughs) That's what I'll say.
1: Yes. There is some lore hiding out in the dungeons amongst the monsters and treasure chests for you
0: to discover. Lore. You'll, I mean, there, there are things that will tip you off to like certain boss strategies. There are things that will tip you off to mechanical things in the dungeons you might not have known about. And uh, it's, it's really, really cool. So I, I encourage you to do that when you're in these dungeons.
1: Yeah. And there's uh, God, there's several other things that we haven't even touched on. There are familiars that you can have in the game that uh, there's, I think over a dozen different familiars you can have in the game, all with very different abilities and they can have a pretty deep, pretty important impact on things. We haven't even talked about the bosses for each of the different dungeons, which are pretty impressive, pretty fun little fights and The fact of the actual progression in the game from dungeon to dungeon or what has, you know, how anything has anything to do with anything else. Uh, It's it's a really seemingly simple game that winds up having a lot of meat on its bones.
0: Yeah. And for, I mean, for an independent title to have so much going on and to work it all together so well is just, again, uh, I've said it multiple times in the Cindy Showcase, but is very impressive to me. I'm very impressed by Moonlighter.
1: Well, we've talked a little bit about the narrative and talked a lot about the gameplay, but I, we definitely want to shout out the pixel art in this game. Yeah. It's very reminiscent for me of Owlboy. I thought it was really, really good.
0: Yeah. It's well, yeah, the pixel art is, is really standout because not only do you have like the kind of character portraits and things that are like two dimensional pixel art, Mm -hmm. but, the the things that are animated do remind me of Owlboy because like it does carry that pixel art aesthetic while almost feeling three dimensional you know yeah um it it's really great and and you know speaking even further about the presentation the soundtrack yeah. is gorgeous in this game
1: yeah the score by David Fenn I believe is his name F E N N yeah uh <laughs> The best way I hear, I have it here in my notes. This is honestly the best way I can describe the music in Moonlighter. It feels like a slightly more playful version of the game of Thrones score.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's got, it's definitely got those sort of like fantasy ditties, like the, you know, the day to day, like shop music is like burned into my head, you know, and the, <laughs> like it's got these kind of like really kind of simplistic, you know, uh, punchy like melodies which I really appreciate, but then it's got some more atmospheric things that that almost carry this like whimsical, pretty kind of like you know charming, twinkly you know chip tune light aesthetic to it. I, I really, really like it a lot. It, it is a it is a really good soundtrack.
1: I don't think the the soundtrack is amazing i it's it's really really good this uh the individual songs and the score is especially for the individual dungeons they're extremely appropriate for all the different situations they have them for might not be as as standout it might not be as in your face as some other games but still you know thumbs up david very good job
0: yeah no i i love it i i really like the um again it's it's really hard to have like to have like something like that, like a, a theme or a particular, uh, melody get, get like earworm, you know, like, like earworms are really hard to come up with. And, and this game has a few of those. And I find myself often just sort of like humming along to it and, and realizing that I've remembered a lot of these melodies kind of without realizing it. And maybe a lot of that is because of the repetitious nature of a roguelike. um, but that also speaks, I think, to the soundtrack strength that you don't get annoyed by the music, even though you're going to be hearing some of these themes over and over and over again. So I, I definitely uh, tip my hat uh, to to this game's soundtrack.
1: And it's something I've said on the show a couple times before is, you know, broad strokes are what makes something good, but it's the details that make it great. And yeah. they're, they're, this game does a lot of little things, that I think really add to the game. Just, again, really small touches that most people probably wouldn't even notice. Uh, A great example of this would be, I mentioned that you can wind up getting an assistant for your shop and there's a little touch of right before you, open, like right as you're opening the shop for that shop day cycle, right as you're opening the shop, you'll see your assistant tie her hair up (laughs) and the dungeons you have these little small creatures like snails and spiders crawling around a lot of the individual rooms a lot of the fixtures within the dungeons will just straight up crumble under your feet as you pass by them yeah just a lot of little things like that that i really appreciate a lot of little touches that i think really help elevate moonlighter and and in closing i absolutely have to shout out the game's dlc campaign
0: yeah i wanted to give you a chance to talk about this because i have not had a chance to play the dlc campaign but I, I know that you have and you loved it so i definitely i wanted to let you talk about this because i'm interested
1: okay so the main dungeons the main dungeons are each three floors apiece, which may not sound like a lot however it winds up being a pretty meaty game overall so You've got the four main dungeons plus the boss dungeon. The four main dungeons are each three floors apiece. The DLC dungeon they've added to this game is 10 floors. And it essentially brings in a whole new gameplay loop because by the time you get the final equipment from the DLC, it'll make your end game equipment from the main campaign look like beginning of the game equipment, legitimately. Jeez. We're we're talking actual exponential growth from the end of the game to the end of the DLC campaign. I'm not going to spoil anything about the end of the main game, but I do want to say that the end of the game is something that while it does ultimately make sense, still comes, still feels like it comes completely out of left field. Like where in the world was that hiding this entire game? Uh, But the DLC takes place after that ending and it builds on that. And the changes that are made to the town make the game so much more interesting. The game and the town become so much more interesting because of what happens at the end of the main campaign and the beginning of the DLC campaign. You have this huge new dungeon to explore. You've got all this new super equipment to to craft and to buy and all these new town inhabitants that again just make the town so much more abundantly lively you have access to new augmentations for your shop you get access to a new shop within the town there's a lot of stuff that they add with the dlc campaign and again what they add to the game itself even outside of the gameplay even just little aesthetic touches really really makes the game so much more interesting to the point where it feels like it's not explored enough within the dlc to the point where i really need a sequel to go even further with what they started in the dlc campaign
0: jeez i I can't wait to play it
1: it's so so good and again if you're going to pick up moonlighter we really enjoyed it. Honestly, the DLC campaign takes it to a whole nother level for me. I cannot recommend the DLC highly enough. If you want to pick up Moonlighter, honestly, you're getting about sixty percent of the experience if you don't get the DLC. It's it's required reading as far as I'm concerned. It's fantastic.
0: Yeah, I mean i I, I gotta say too, like it, it's affordably priced. I think considering you know how much is there. Mm -hmm. um i i think at full price like if you buy the game piecemeal if you buy just the the game itself and then buy the dlc separately i think it's like eight something like 8.99 or something like that it's it's really not much considering how much you say is in there content wise yeah with the
1: game and the dlc you can very easily spend 25 30 hours on the game very easily, with, especially for an indie game, is a pretty hefty chunk. We've admittedly done a lot of indie games on the Indie Showcase that can be beaten within a couple hours. But, you know, with this being a roguelike, with this being an RPG, it is definitely a lot more meaty than than other experiences. So, uh, not something like Xenoblade that's going to take up 100,000 hours of your life, but, you know, it's a game that you can definitely sink your teeth into.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I I've been really impressed with it. I uh I'm definitely looking forward to playing much more of it and it was something that we we absolutely had to had to bring to you guys here in the indie showcase and and recommend wholeheartedly. I to be completely honest, I can't really lodge any major complaints against it. I I don't really have any
1: If I was going to say anything negative about the game, honestly, uh I ran, I did run into a couple glitches. There was once where i i did a dodge roll into a wall and actually ran off screen i was somehow oh really? yeah like on top of the the dungeon wall i was some <laughs> yeah i ran off screen i was somehow able to come back and and get back in so it it
0: didn't it didn't softlock me thankfully but that's funny. I I never encounter anything like that. I mean, I'm sure. Yeah. Stuff like that will probably happen. The procedural nature of the game, but
1: yeah. And maybe I'd like to see a little bit more from the combat next time. I know that with, especially with legend of Zelda, that the game takes so many cues from all you had was the one sword and the one shield. So it is very nice to have the extra familiar and the extra five different weapon types that you can choose from that you can freely switch but I, you know, I can't help, especially playing other roguelikes and especially Hades. It it would be nice if in Moonlighter 2, which please, Digital Sun and Eleven say. Studios, please, I would love to see it. And if they do make a Moonlighter 2, yeah, expand on the combat just a little bit. But I, I honestly, that that feels like nitpicking at this point.
0: Yeah, no, it's it's great. We we wholeheartedly recommend it and uh yeah, bring on a sequel.
1: <laughs> but what did you guys think about Will and his dimension traversing adventures? What did you think about having to take care of a shop and going adventuring through dungeons at the same time? Definitely reach out to us on Facebook and Twitter and let us know what you thought of Moonlighter. But as we continue our tribute, basically, to the retail soldiers of the world, yeah. now that The holiday shopping season is in full swing. We definitely wanted to pay tribute to all of the merchants and sellers and shop owners out there this week in our top five.
0: Yes, there have certainly been some prolific shopkeeps in Nintendo games, and we definitely wanted to shout out and salute and pay tribute to them.
1: Yeah, and when it came to making this list, we were initially going to do individual top fives like we do many times. However, we realized that we were so much on the same page that this, this kind of had to be a combined list. We'd, we'd done those before, but all the combined lists we'd done before we had previously agreed. They were going to be combined lists. Right. However, this one we had, really thought we were going to come up with individual top fives. However, it turned out that the, the actual top five was like, we were just on such the same wavelength. We really had no choice, but to do this as a dual collective list.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, it it sort of just took that shape. And sometimes that happens when you're, when you're, you know, you're, you're making a collaborative top five. So it certainly ended up that way, but Our number five to start off our list is Marcus Kincaid from the Borderlands series. Yes. Marcus, as you may know, and and the reason that I sort of felt like he had to be on the list was, and and again, you know, Borderlands now on the Switch, right?
1: (laughs) Borderlands, Borderlands 2. Yeah, you should definitely play him if you haven't before. Back when it was on the Xbox 360 alone, it was my favorite Xbox 360 game. It's an absolutely fantastic first-person shooter RPG hybrid it's absolutely insane so funny you should definitely check it out if you haven't that and Borderlands 2 Borderlands Borderlands 2 both available now on the Nintendo Switch as part of
0: 2k's big game dump from a few months back right and Marcus is a an arms dealer uh the owner of Marcus Munitions in the game and you know Marcus of course the personality of Marcus stands out right just like all the characters in Borderlands Borderlands is a very funny series very well written series with tons of colorful characters Oh yeah but
1: Marcus even among them is special
0: Yeah no absolutely and and he stands out for one really big reason in particular he is sort of the caretaker the sort of like arbiter of the series story setup He kind of like just hearing Marcus's voice sort of setting the stage for not only just all of the games, but the DLCs, like they all are started by Marcus just sort of telling you a story. And in that way, he sort of takes on a completely different role than just a typical shopkeeper, which he absolutely is. You're going to encounter him several times throughout the game, and you're going to be shopping at his vending machines constantly throughout the course of the game. Uh, You may be, honestly, buying ammo more often than anything else in those games. Um, But he's quite literally, when you're you're in Borderlands 1, he's driving the bus, right? Like, he's there from the very start. And that's kind of what is special, I think, about Marcus to me, is the fact that he has sort of taken on this role as almost the voice of the story of the Borderlands series, such as it is. And I really appreciate that about him. He rises above being just a standard merchant
1: yeah it is a storytelling trope you do see occasionally where you have a narrator character who also injects themselves into the story as a supporting player uh you you see that uh, occasionally in both television and movies and now in video games and when it comes to video games marcus is probably the best example of that storytelling device he's he's absolutely great the the gruff you know Kind of bad guy, but still an ally. Like, he really should be a bad guy.
0: He really should. That's kind of the thing, right? With all, like, Borderlands characters. (laughs) Basically. Tiny Tina should absolutely be a bad guy.
1: She has no business being as lovable as she is.
0: Just just no morals anywhere to be
1: found. (laughs) Essentially, yeah. But Marcus somehow posits himself as a friend, despite the fact that he's, I, I think, arming all the bad guys as well as the good guys through his shop. But I mean, yeah, you know, guys got to make money, right?
0: And no refunds.
1: No refunds. Exactly. I even got the, the Borderlands special edition that came with the Marcus bobblehead back in the day. I still have that. That thing's fantastic.
0: Yeah, that's another thing, too, is Marcus is a very uh, sort of... Uh economically wise vendor. He's got merchandise like everywhere. You can find Marcus playing cards littered throughout the world. There are Marcus bobbleheads everywhere. He's he's a very uh <laughs> he's an entrepreneurial genius, Marcus Kincaid. Oh yes. He's very uh
1: merch uh centric. He knows what he's doing, he's very savvy. But going into our number four, it is Rodan, the infinite one. Yes. From the Bayonetta series. What a cool character, man. Like just just a straight cool character. <laughs> he runs a bar called what is it? Hell's Gate, the Gate of the, uh, the Gates, gates of, of Hell. Gates of Hell, yeah. yeah. He just runs a bar, standing behind the bar smoking a cigar, just hanging out being the most powerful being in
0: existence. Like a a weapons dealer of like demon weapons that he like takes care of. <laughs> like like he like goes and beats them up himself. <laughs> exactly. Uh, this Bayonetta has,
1: if you've never played a Platinum Games game before, I know we've already talked about the, I know I've already mentioned the fact that uh, they just released the wonderful one-on-one demo this past week, but Bayonetta is just another absolutely insane part of Platinum's game catalog. They just specialize in absolute insanity. And to the point where it just, to clarify a little bit of what Seth was just saying about how Rodan was beating up demons, the way you get new items to Rodan's shop that you can buy is you bring him music tracks. I think they're actually vinyls.
0: Yeah, I think they're called like Golden Hymn LPs.
1: Yes, and the way it works in-game is... Is he plays the hymn, he plays the music, which then summons a demon, which Rodan then single-handedly kills with his own hands, which he then fashions <laughs> into the new items.
0: So great.
1: <laughs> like the Platinum Games had no reason at all to make that as complicated as it is, but it's amazing. It's so amazing.
0: Everything in that game is just so over the top. And Rodan sort of embodies that, to be honest. And I mean, he is also sort of like the super boss.
1: Yeah, for Bayonetta 1 and 2, Rodan serves as the final challenge, really, of the game. He's not just there to sell you things. He is there to serve as the game's final hurdle. And that that was definitely what pushes him into top five for us. Not just the fact that he was a little, he was certainly there in the first game. Definitely got a lot bigger role in Bayonetta Two, but the fact that you get to face Rodan, the Infinite One, at the end of Bayonetta One and Bayonetta Two as the game's final super boss is is what really puts Rodan over the top for us. And uh, something I learned recently while doing research for this top five, apparently Rodan was named after a French sculptor who did a very famous sculpture called the gates of hell.
0: Oh, nice. So that makes sense. That, that does make sense. I, I learned actually, and you may have seen the same thing, but apparently during the story of the first Bayonetta, apparently uh, Hideki Kamiya, the director of the game actually had like a little bit of a plot line designed for Rodan that he was going to originally explore in the first game, but technically didn't get to, he sort of like, they ran out of time, but they sort of worked that into the whole, like you know, final secret, you know, super boss fight, where like Rodan being like a fallen angel, he was going to like regain his angelic powers during the story in Bayonetta One originally.
1: <laughs> I I'd, I'd be down for it. I'd be down for a Rodan spinoff.
0: I would be too. And I mean, of course, we we have since seen him go on to be an assist trophy in Smash Brothers Ultimate, and he's great.
1: Yep. I mean, I. After playing a game where you adventure through dungeons and maintain a shop at the same time that we just talked about, after playing Moonlighter, I'd be down to play a Rodan game where you have to, you know, it's bayoneted during the day and then you run the gates of hell bar by night. I think that'd be amazing.
0: Platinum Games, you can have that idea for free. Oh, that'd be (laughs) so fun. That'd be so great. You can have it for free. And also one thing we should say just before we move on, the ordering of this between Marcus and Rodan was very tough for us to land on.
1: Yes. We battled in the Thunderdome to find out (laughs) who would be number five and who would be number four on this list. So, uh, it was, it was a little bit of a fight to the death. Uh, I might need to go visit a doctor afterwards to reattach an arm, but don't worry about that. (laughs) But yeah, what do you guys think? Do you guys think it should have been flipped? Do you think Marcus should have been number four and Rodan number five? Or you, or once you listen to the whole list, do you think we are completely off our rocker? Definitely make sure to reach out to us and let us know what your thoughts are.
0: Yes, but coming into number three, I think uh, was no contest because when we were thinking about the, the number three slot, the Nintendo game merchant that absolutely needed to be represented on this list from Legend of Zelda... Beetle. Sweet Beetle. <laughs> he's, he's so good. He's a very good boy, and I love him very much. He is. Beetle, of course, first appearing in Wind Waker on his sort of traveling ship. But what I, what I like so much about Beetle is he the dedication that Beetle has. To, to his shop. The dedication that he has to... Like, he's always traveling and going through such lengths. He has taken on, like, a hot air balloon. He is actually, even in Breath of the Wild, just straight up on, like, backpacking it through the land of Hyrule. Like, Beetle goes through a lot for his shop. Yeah. Like, I really respect that about Beetle. He even goes as far as to set up, like, membership cards for his shop. I mean... They're there like people that have like storefronts that don't do that. And here's Beetle, <laughs> a humble traveling merchant, maintaining a membership uh, program. That's like, that's crazy. And indeed, <laughs> he's, he's appeared in almost every 3D Zelda game since his first appearance. He was in Wind Waker. He was in the actually the spin off games of Wind Waker uh, Phantom Hourglass and Spirit Tracks. Yep. He was, of course, in Breath of the Wild. He was in Skyward Sword. Just a hardworking, solid dude, and uh, and I love Beetle. Beetle and his Beetles. <laughs> he's great, and uh, he's uh, apparently in the instruction booklet in the uh, in the European version of Phantom Hourglass. Beetle is apparently called Terry in that. Huh. So I find that interesting. Beetle's name may actually be Terry. Beetle may be like a moniker. So. I found that interesting. He's also in Minish Cap. I mean, Beetle's yep. everywhere. Long live Beetle!
1: <laughs> and it's it's very telling that we put Beetle in this list because there are a couple of very memorable merchants from the Legend of Zelda's history. So uh, yeah, the, the fact that he was able to edge those out for our top five is, is very telling of how memorable and how great a character that he is.
0: Yeah. I mean, we could have went with Kilton, the, uh, the monster parts merchant from breath of the wild, but uh beetle for me is just iconic. He's one of those familiar faces that I just love to see in a new Zelda game. So
1: coming in at number two, I think when we told you all, we were going to be doing top five merchants in video games for many of you. Your mind immediately went to one of them and you've been waiting to see where this merchant falls. So
0: to you, all I have to say is, what are you buying? (laughs) Exactly. Gotta cover the RE4 merchant.
1: He's legendary. He's creepy. He's amazing. The merchant from Resident Evil 4 is our number two. What are you buying? (laughs) What are you buying? And you and I were actually talking uh off mic about this a little bit. It's like what is, what is exactly about this guy that has made him so ubiquitous, made him so iconic, made him right. kind of the poster boy for video game
0: merchants? Right, because we don't really ultimately know basically anything about him, which is really interesting.
1: All we know is that he shows up at the best possible times in the game. <laughs> we he has just the 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 delivery of his line has become so instantly quotable among gamers in general, not just fans of the r e series but gamers in general it's it was like one of the first gaming memes,
0: well, yeah, there's just a certain charm about him right because like when you break down that character, he's just the sort of creepy like he looks like he's one of the like the las plagas like he he kind of has that look to him. He, he looks like yeah. he's one of the bad guys, but he pops up and he's this sort of just goofy, kind of like enthusiastic, charming dude who can like teleport. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's like this otherworldly merchant that is just like instantly charming and you just instantly love him. And like you said, shows up at the best times. I mean, one of the most memorable parts of that game. I mean, he shows up
1: initially in the game, and he almost has this look of maybe being a, a New York City flasher or something, <laughs> and right. you're wondering what exactly is going to happen when he opens his trench coat. You know, it's like, dude, I need I need weapons and stuff. You're probably just going to sell me uh, knockoff Rolexes. I don't need that right now. <laughs> right. That's what he initially looks like, but oh, man, he's so great, and- One of the things that I think has made him so famous over the years is uh, you can have the best written character. You can have the greatest designed character. You can have the single best performed character in the history of video games, but the best thing that you can do for the reputation of your character is to put them in a good game.
0: Right, that's a that's a great point.
1: And ultimately, I think that's one of the reasons that people still remember the Resident Evil 4 merchant because there are a ton of really good video game characters out there that are stuck in mediocre to terrible games. And because of that, the character's reputation has suffered immensely. There's a lot of characters, a lot of mascots out there that aren't nearly as highly thought of as others simply for the fact that their games didn't do as well, but being in one of the greatest video games ever made, arguably the greatest survival horror game ever made in resident evil four, uh, (laughs) you know, that is certainly going to help the reputation of, especially since the fact that he was the only merchant in the game, he was this weird, mysterious character, but because the game was amazing and everybody played it, everybody knows him.
0: Yeah, like, we were okay with not knowing that much about him, right? That was almost part of it.
1: Yeah, it's like the Joker's mystique is not knowing, right?
0: Right, yeah, exactly. And, and you know, again, the game surrounding him is so good that he ends up just being another star in the starry sky, almost. And, uh, <laughs> man, he's he's great. Just, just so charming, so memorable, an absolute classic uh, video game merchant. Absolutely. But... Before we get into our number one pick, I feel like we should touch on some honorable mentions.
1: Yeah, we do have a couple. We do have a couple that we want to touch on.
0: The first one, or or really the first few that I want to shout out, is just all of the vendors in Inkopolis in Splatoon. Mm -hmm, Like, mm -hmm, all mm -hmm. of the many vendors. (laughs) Because they're all great. I couldn't pick just one. (laughs) I mean, gun to my head, I would have to do Sheldon, I guess. Um, he's, he's very fresh he's very very fresh and very I, fresh. I just love how he like he's super like nerdy and, and like adorable about his like how passionate he is about the weapons and you actually like he, he can drone on and you actually can just tell him to hurry it up <laughs> <laughs> I also love the puns of their names like there's Krusty Sean <laughs> yeah it's very oh, very yeah. good
1: uh, I definitely wanted to give a shout out if we had done individual lists Morgan Freeman would definitely have been on mine. And for those of you out there asking, what in the world are you talking about?
0: I asked that. <laughs> yeah.
1: When you told me. Morgan Freeman runs a taco shop in South Park, The Fractured But Whole. Now, he's not you don't really buy items from him. The only reason you go to him throughout the course of the regular game is because he teaches you how to do item crafting in the game. He's not an actual shop. He just owns a taco stand. But right. much, much like Rodan, he winds up serving as the final boss, the final super boss of the game. So he's technically a shop owner, technically a merchant within a video game. He doesn't really act like it throughout the major part of the game, but it's Morgan Freeman. <laughs> right.
0: And that game is available on Nintendo Switch. <laughs> yeah, both
1: uh, South Park the sick of Truth and Fractured Butthole, all available. It God, can you believe all the games that have been ported and all the games that have come out on the Switch? Good Lord.
0: Yeah, and speaking of that, another Borderlands one. The actual, the one that was fighting in competition in terms of Borderlands characters and Borderlands merchants is Crazy Earl from Borderlands. <laughs> what you want? <laughs> yeah, voiced by Randy Pitchford, the president of Gearbox. So... Yeah, that's he's pretty great. The the crazy iridium vendor, uh, <laughs> where you can you know visit him to upgrade your your ammunition count, your storage, and all that. He's great. Yeah,
1: not quite as iconic as what are you buying, but still very very memorable within Borderlands, and that's saying something because as we've already touched on, Borderlands is just chocked full of very
0: memorable characters. Yeah, another memorable one is the circus of values vending machine in Bioshock. I mean, that's, yeah. that's, I think one of the things that is so prolific about this list and, and video game vendors in general is just, you're having to go to them constantly. Right. So when they have a, an iconic line, like welcome to the circus of value, like you just that cadence and like everything about it just is like, just drilled into your head. Right. Yeah. So there's that. There's also a shout out, the shout out to the Moogles from final fantasy. I mean, classic.
1: Yeah. And as we've already mentioned, uh Beetle did have to beat out a couple merchants to become our Legend of Zelda representative, specifically the Happy Mask Salesman and Tingle the map salesman. And uh, I I'm not going to lie, I'm really happy that Tingle didn't make the list.
0: I mean, look, I love Tingle. Um and I love the Happy Mask Salesman. The, the you know, and, and we all know I love Majora's Mask. Uh, mm-hmm. however, you don't ever technically buy anything from the Happy Mass salesman, and Tingle is technically a vendor because you're buying uh, maps from him, but even that is a little loose, especially when compared to Beetle. It's like, if I have to pick a Zelda rep, it's got to be Beetle. But still, nonetheless, shout out to those guys. Uh, another one that I wanted to shout out is Volgrim from the Darksiders series. Oh, yeah. Great character. So... And the last one I'll shout out is actually from a game that we covered on the Indie Showcase back around Halloween time, the Skin Salesman from Pumpkin Jack.
1: <laughs> the the literal skills Skin Salesman.
0: Yeah, I mean, what a clever like idea for an in-game merchant. Just super clever. <laughs> I don't so think cool. he even has a name, but it's just a very clever idea. Shout out. It's so good.
1: Well, to come to the end of our list of top Nintendo merchants, all of these merchants have been incredibly impactful characters within their games and their franchises. A lot of them have had major, major impacts on the stories and the gameplay. However, for our number one, there isn't a video game merchant out there who is basically the poster boy for the franchise. This character, who is probably the first character that anybody thinks of when they think of this game series. And listen, we do talk about Animal Crossing a lot on this show, but <laughs> I mean, it really couldn't have been anyone except Tom Nook.
0: Yes, the Tanuki himself, the uh <laughs> the the miser, the debt collector himself. The Island Hawking. Yeah. And for those who are thinking to themselves right now, like, hang on a minute, he's not a shopkeeper. You have to think about his, you know, debut. He's been with the series since the beginning. And up until New Leaf, he was the shopkeeper. Yeah. Um, He did have all of the shops in the game. And, you know, he would, the shops could upgrade or even downgrade in some of the games. But up until New Leaf, where he kind of took on a more like landlord kind of role. Uh, Tom Nook was the shopkeeper and you had a part-time job at Nook's Cranny to pay off your debt. So the, the sort of debt mechanic has always been there. But but yeah, Tom Nook sort of took the role of like your first boss or something like that versus your landlord or your, your island renovator.
1: And I mean, even now he is still a merchant. You still have to buy house upgrades from him. You still have to go to him for, you know, a few things, even in new horizons, you go to him and you essentially are paying, you know, you don't directly pay him, but you're paying him for the bridges and the structures that you're building around the Island. So he's a different type of merchant now, but he's still very much a businessman that you have to go through.
0: I challenge you, anybody listening to this, I challenge you to name a more iconic, like a more iconic Nintendo character that deals in the literal buying and selling of goods. Like even if you're just talking about land or homeownership or whatever in the new iterations, even if you're talking about his first appearance as a shopkeeper in the original games, name a more iconic shopkeeper in a Nintendo game. I dare you. It doesn't exist. And for
1: a lot of the Animal Crossing imagery, the icon that is used, like even the icon that they use in Smash Brothers for Animal Crossing representatives is the Nook, Inc. leaf.
0: Yep. Yep. Absolutely.
1: So again, there's not another video game franchise out there where the merchant, the side character, is really treated like the main character of the game, almost even more so than the player character, but such is Animal Crossing.
0: Yeah, I mean, think about it, because like by any other game's logic, that character would be like Rover, like the, the character that first meets you on the bus or whatever, or that character would be even somebody like K.K. Slider, like a prolific sort of like fan favorite character. No, for Animal Crossing, that character really is Tom Nook. And in New Horizons in particular, they really doubled down on Tom Nook as the central character. So, I mean, there was no other number one in our minds. And he may
1: have been hated for a long time, but I I do think he's redeemed himself a little bit over the years and over the installments.
0: I agree. I absolutely agree. He's, He's fair. I mean, think about it. Think about the risk that somebody, a lender takes when they say, hey, like you're coming to this place... Yeah, you have a debt, but take as long as you want to pay it off. No, no rush. You know, giving you an advance on everything. He's actually, if you stop and think about it, he is fairly lenient, man. There's no deadlines.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But that was our combined top five list for the best Nintendo merchants of all time. Again, like we mentioned earlier, do reach out to us and let us know to tell us just how wrong we are. You know, fight amongst yourselves who should have been number four, who should have been number five. But do reach out to us and let us know. We would genuinely like to hear from you. Now, (laughs) speaking of owning shops and being merchants. Hey, as it turns out, we've done a little bit of that. Yeah, you and I are very, (laughs) very familiar with that world, especially when it comes to video game retail. And talking a lot about the holiday shopping season has brought up a lot of memories for both of us. And we've mentioned it a couple times here on the show before, but (laughs) we figured we would pull back the curtain a little bit and treat you guys to a little bit of our past and tell
0: you all about
1: our history in video game retail.
0: Yeah. So again, we have mentioned in the past that we sort of each have a video game retail background, both of us uh, in management running video game stores um, and I don't know about you, uh, but for me, it was a very formative experience and I'll just, I I've sort of danced around it in the past, but I'll just go like, you know, it, it's, I'm so far removed from it at this point. I, I, am I feel comfortable in saying that, uh, I worked at and managed a GameStop for the better part of seven years. And, um, It it was one of the most formative experiences of my life. I will never forget those days. That was actually how I met you. Um, Yes. And I mean, I I wouldn't be the person I am today without it. And uh, and I was actually hired on originally as a holiday hire. So I am very intimately familiar with holidays working in a video game retail environment. I know you are, too. Oh, yes.
1: Uh, I worked for GameStop personally on, I believe, four separate occasions. Mm-hmm. And even, I don't know if you even remember this, but speaking of you initially coming on as a holiday hire, while I was stationed down at Fort Polk near Seth, I was, I became so, you know, known amongst- yeah the different stores there that the store owner on post Seth was at the one that was off post, but at the one that was on Fort Polk, they asked me if I would come on as a holiday hire while I was still an active duty soldier. <laughs> yeah. So, I do remember this. Yes. So, so for one holiday season, this is only like five hours a week. Right. Uh, but it's like,
0: Hey, I, I can get a discount.
1: <laughs> basically. Yeah. They they needed to bring in a couple more people. They had a few more hours. So they just said, Eric, can you just, can you come on? Uh, so I said, yeah, sure. I'll take the discount. So uh, again, even though I was an active duty soldier, it was the holiday season. So training had really died down. A lot of people were going on block leave. So it wasn't something to where it was really going to interfere with my schedule at all. So I said, sure, why not? And I had to fill out an application just <laughs> as a formality, as a formality. And, uh, the, the former store manager, the one you worked at, I was told that he he, like posted it up just so he could show other people the,
0: that's funny, the,
1: the application that I filled out just because again, I had to fill out one as a formality. So I was a little
0: funny with it. Oh, nice. Nice. (laughs) I did not hear about that. That's funny.
1: Yeah. You'll have to ask him sometime about that.
0: Yeah, no, I, that was sort of how I got on too, is I was just so, you know, I'd been going to that store since I you know since it opened and uh, I just became real familiar with everybody there and and yeah when holiday hiring came around they were just like hey you should come on and within six months I was in a management position and within a year I was assistant manager (laughs) so it became a very permanent thing very quickly and before I knew it seven years of my life had gone by so this is not the uh the bad mouth GameStop hour this is not the bad mouth you know video game retail hour uh, this is just us kind of talking about our experiences and maybe uh, some horror stories. Uh, <laughs> long story short, be good to your be good to holiday uh, associates. Be good to them. Yes,
1: please be respectful, especially in the holiday season. Retail is an incredibly stressful profession. So, uh, <laughs> I know you and I have definitely, definitely had our fair share of memorable customers and. I'd had a couple during my stints with GameStop, but I had some doozies when I became the manager of my local game exchange.
0: Yeah, I want to hear them.
1: So, I mean, we've all got, especially if you've worked video game retail, if you have any experience with video game retail, we all have those customers. Mm-hmm. We all have those customers that will ask for Super Mario Brothers on the Xbox and then just won't stop arguing with you that they know it's on the Xbox. They've seen commercials for it. They know what they're talking about.
0: Aye, aye, aye.
1: You have those customers that'll argue, well, my, my nephew or my niece or my grandson or my granddaughter, they want this game called Fork Knife. It's like, "Well, ma'am, I think it's Fortnite that you're looking for and it's available for free." He's like, "No, no, no, it's Fork knife. They're very they're very clear on
0: that." No person who literally does this professionally, it is this. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so, we all have those customers, but I will never forget this one. So, <laughs> oh, I'm so excited. I was it was about an hour, hour and a half into the day I had opened up the store and I was just going around doing things. I was putting product up on the shelves. I was organizing things. Obviously I was the manager. So I was doing paperwork and some administrative duties and a woman who had been in the store several times up to that point came in and she was walking around. She had, I believe her three sons with her, but you know, she just was walking around for a few minutes and I was walking around and then she finally stopped me (laughs) and she said, Mr. Eric, I, I have to ask you. Is Pokemon the devil's stuff? Holy moly. <laughs> that just stopped me dead <laughs> in my tracks. That's a direct quote. That is exactly what she said. I'll never forget it. Is Pokemon the devil's stuff? Is Pokemon the devil's stuff? <laughs> I said, <laughs> you know, I, was, I, I didn't laugh. I, I genuinely fought the urge to laugh. I, I said, no, ma'am, no, ma'am. Pokemon is not satanic at all it's it's probably one of the best children's franchises out there it was even endorsed by the pope it's it's a fantastic game for kids if you want to get it for your sons she said well you know i'm just i'm afraid about what i'm exposing them to i want to make sure i'm not getting anything too bad i you know what ma'am i completely understand completely understand you want to do research and you don't know a lot about this stuff so you're asking me completely understand. So she molded over for a second and she said, yeah, well, I'm not going to worry about it this time. I'm going to get them this instead. And she hands me the case for Grand Theft Auto 5.
0: Oh my God.
1: And I look at it. I take the case from her. I look at the case. I look at her and I say, ma'am, if you're concerned about what you're showing your kids, I've got to tell you, Grand Theft Auto is one of the most famously adult franchises on the market in video games and this woman who moments ago was deathly afraid of the possible satanic implications that pokemon would have on her sons said to me oh it's fine they're fine with it
0: man you can't make this stuff up and by the way full disclosure we actually like it when parents come to us looking for genuine, you know, help and advice and stuff like that. I, I've i had many great interactions with people who are looking for my genuine, earnest advice on what games are right for their kids. But then, yeah, I cannot tell you how many times a mom or somebody would buy a copy of, like, yeah, Grand Theft Auto for their kids. Oh, they see worse stuff on TV. Oh, they played at their friend's house or whatever, you know?
1: Yeah. And we did. I was very, very particular about making sure we weren't selling mature games to people who weren't of age right i mean aside from the fact that it's literally illegal but i you know that was something that i was very uh something i was very particular about because took extra care with yeah yeah because games are you know specific media is intended for specific audiences there's been a ton of uh, there's been a ton of studies admonishing video games for the supposed amount of violence that it incites in young people. But that doesn't mean that mature games shouldn't be played by kids. Right. So, you know, that type of content isn't very kid friendly. So I do make sure that people know what they're getting into, or I, You know, I did make sure people knew what they were getting into when, They bought something like Grand Theft Auto or Call of Duty or Metal Gear Solid versus something like, you know, Mario or Pokemon. And again, I I loved it when people came up and talked to me. But again, I just I could not believe it. This woman who was so afraid about these satanic Pokemon corrupting her children was perfectly fine with a game where you could literally shoot cops and impregnate prostitutes. I mean, I mean, don't get me wrong. Grand theft auto five is a fantastic game. I'm not saying it's not, it's a great game, but it is not for kids.
0: Great game for the right audience. Yes. (laughs) Holy moly. Yeah. I, I had, you know, several experiences like that. I, you know, if, if we're talking about the holidays though, uh, the 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 first kind of story that that I cherry picked for this mm-hmm. is uh, I man I feel like I'm I'm like going to tell a nom story here or something because <laughs> I want to go to Black Friday 2012. All right, all right, 2012 Black Friday. I'm at GameStop and my store manager at the time was also very very close friends uh, with him at the time. Uh, you know him and uh, yeah. He was expecting his first child, right? And of, of which he has like five now. I think he has three or four, yeah. Now, but <laughs> but yeah. So uh, so he was expecting his first child, and I told him like, you know, hey man, like if worst comes to worse, you know, your wife goes into labor like on Black Friday, like don't worry about it. I got you. Like I'll work the full day if I have to. I'll work a double, whatever. You know, go take care of business. I got you, you know? Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, no, man. Like, that's that's not going to happen. Blah, blah, blah. Like, like, we got this. Don't worry about it. And then, sure enough, he calls me Thanksgiving night that night. And I knew exactly what it was. The second I saw his name pop up on my phone, I answered. And I was like, it's happening, isn't it? <laughs> and he's like, yeah. Yeah, she's going into labor. I'm like, no worries, dude. You know, congratulations. <laughs> I got you. However the the you know the flip side of that coin it did mean that i was going to be working i think i wound up working 22 hours that day um good lord yeah and i took like several breaks and to be fair it was a really easy day uh because you know and and you may have some experience with this too with black friday you really get that like really good rush in the morning and then afterwards it just sort of dies down and you just sort of have the normal trickle throughout the day the yeah. the fervor is all early morning, right? Yep. Um, so anyway, once we sort of survived that, it was me and my coworker at the time, and we still talk about this whenever the memory pops up on Facebook. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> we're just sitting there, just like the both of us, just like shambling corpses wearing Santa hats. And I'll never forget that that particular Black Friday because the only thing that was keeping me alive, really was I think I must have had five or six Mega Monster Energy drinks. And I played through the entirety of Adventure Time. Hey, Ice King, why'd you steal our garbage? Twice. <laughs> 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 and it was just like, I'll never forget that Black Friday. And that, that holiday season in particular, that was the holiday season that I got spat at. Like, actually, somebody spit on me that holiday uh there was there was a woman who was trying to return a ds that her grandson had bought but had just destroyed and was trying to return it and i explained to her that hey ma'am, like sorry you can't return literally destroyed merchandise and expect full value for it and she literally spit at me mm-hmm. uh so that happened <laughs> and uh that was a very interesting holiday season that year
1: well When it comes to video game retail, a huge, huge part of it, just like you said, is people bringing stuff back to us, not just returns, but trade-ins and used products. So you and I did a ton of that. And (laughs) there's one person when it comes to doing trades that really, really sticks out of my mind. I had one guy that... I mean, he was basically Santa. It took us legitimately three days to process his trade in, but I wanted all of it because it was like Sega Master System, Virtual Boy. It was just, we wound up giving the guy like $1,800. Holy crap! Cash. So, he brings in a Virtual Boy? Oh, he had, like I said, I wanted everything he had. He just brought in this massive box. Like, I don't know if you guys want any of this stuff. I said, shut it down. We're doing this. I want all of this in my store right now. But...
0: Yeah, you must have seen some amazing collections working there. Oh,
1: dude, it was it was so nice. And I, I love that when people bring in stuff like that. It was always great to see people who also truly love video games, to see the stuff that they right. would bring in. Oh, it was so amazing. And we we had a lot of success at my store because I was very active on social media with the store. Whenever we got right. anything remotely cool in, I would post it on Facebook and, and Instagram. The store didn't have a Twitter, but we, we posted stuff constantly. We had a couple thousand followers, which for, you know, the, the town's not a metropolis. It's not a major city like Nashville, but we had, you know, Fort Campbell right here. And it, we had a lot of people in this town. I think, Clarksville is up to 150,000 now. So uh, it's a big, big town. Nice. But even to have a few thousand followers within the confines of this one town was huge. We were constantly having people come into the store, you know, it was like, yeah, I always check the social media. I always check stuff out make sure I always let, I always know if, if I get stuff in. So
0: yeah. And you create a community. You were doing a bunch of events and stuff like this. You were really active.
1: Yeah. I tried, but I digress. I digress. There was this one guy who brought in a couple things. He rode his bike up to the store and the front of the store, the front of my store was all glass. It's just all glass. The entire front of the store was just glass panes. So this kid rides his bike up to, uh, just rides his bike up and leans it right against the pain next to the oh front God. door. I, you know, that didn't bother me. Whatever. I mean, we get the windows cleaned. As a matter of fact, I think we, we were getting the windows cleaned the very next day anyway. So the, whatever that didn't bother me, but the kid rides up, parks his bike, leans it against the window, comes in, has one game and a, a headset. I think combined, we would have sold them for like $15. Just a cheap headset and a cheap game. That was it. But this was a pretty young looking kid. And he got peach fuzz growing around his face. But I tell him how much we're going to give him. It wasn't much. He kind of grumbles and says, "Uh, okay, fine. I said, all right, man, I just need to see an ID. Make sure you're 18. And this kid hands me an ID of some, I guess, middle-aged woman. (laughs)
0: Oh my goodness.
1: And I look at him. I look at the ID and he's looking at me and I say, dude, this clearly isn't you. (laughs) And he looks at me. And again, I promise this is what he says to me. He says, come on, man, help me out. That's my mom. She's in the car. And I look at him wide eyed. I swivel my head. I look at the bike that he has parked (laughs) against the pane of my, of my store. And then I what looked back guy. at him. I said, "Who's in the car, huh, brother? You didn't even
0: come up in a car."
1: <laughs> I was like, "Yeah, she's in the car." I'm like, "You take your bike and you go find that car, man." And he's like, "Fine." It, so the thing, it doesn't end there. So yeah, he starts. He, he tries to stick it to me. He was like, "You know what? Fine. Blah, blah blah. I'm gonna go to GameStop. Your loss." So the, where we were situated, we were across the street. We were in the, we the busiest part of town, but across the street was the mall and there was a game stop in the mall. I presume that's where he was going to, but just like I had a really good rapport with all the game stops around when I live near you, Seth, I had a really good rapport with all the GameStops stops where, you know, here where I live. And I still know a lot of the people who work there to this day by, by on a first name basis. So despite the fact that we were technically competitors, when this kid left, I, you know, I took the the store phone in the back and just very quickly, I called over to GameStop and I said, Hey, there's this kid just left here in a huff. He's got somebody else's ID. I don't even think he's 18. He tried to trade us a game and a, a headset. Just be on the lookout for him. Cool.
0: Right. We did that all the time too. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But sure enough, 50 minutes later, we get a call. Yeah, thank you for calling Game Exchange. This is Eric. How can I help you? <laughs> 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 hey, Eric. Thanks for the heads up, man. He just ran out of here huffing and puffing too. <laughs> <laughs> I just started laughing. And I just thought about it. Like you tried to defraud my store, whatever. As Don't tell me you're going to go try to illegally defraud another store and then actually show up.
0: yeah.
1: Oh yeah. You're not going to let me commit a crime here. I'm going to go commit a crime over here. And then he actually shows up there. I'm like, kid, you are the worst criminal I've ever seen.
0: And that's, that's something we should say too, is that, um, when you're working as a video game retailer, uh it is imperative that you make sure that everybody that you're accepting trades from is over 18 because you actually have to document the sale and uh and you actually have to take down like identifiable inf- information from their government ID so that if the games were to turn up say stolen or something there was a, actually a through line to get back to them. Yes. So very very important part of the job. <laughs> but yeah, man. Wild times, wild times. I, I gotta say, um, I've got a trade story. It's 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 actually pretty funny because <laughs> this trade story took me on a bit of an odyssey that lasted multiple years. Okay. Okay. It's it's actually serendipitous that you brought up this one because this is you know part and parcel of what we were just talking about. So I accepted a trade from a person. Um, totally innocuous. It was just like a bunch of games. I don't know, probably it was a stack, you know, it was probably between 10 and 15 games. Some controllers, you know, whatever. You know, thought nothing of it. About a week later, I get a phone call from a woman who said that the trade was like her sister who like stole games from her son or whatever. So it was like this this kid's aunt had stolen games from him and sold it to us, okay? Yeah. And I basically told her like, well, ma'am, you know, obviously we don't knowingly take stolen product. We just treated it like it was a normal transaction. If you'd like to follow a police report, you know, we, we are completely compliant with police. and, And if you report the game stolen and file them, you know, whatever. And I told that to so many people and a lot of people honestly just let it go. Whatever, you know, crappy family member, drama, whatever. Most people don't actually go through with police reports This woman did. I respect that. Yeah, I respect it too. Like, hey, more power to you. Filed a police report. The police came in and over the course of the next week or so, we slowly sort of like traced back the trade and, you know, gave them the ID information and stuff like this. And, uh, you know, I made sure I took down the information accurately. Um, They couldn't find the lady at the address. She had like left the state. They... Did, like, take back all the product and stuff like this, and that was not a big deal. Uh, We were compliant with all of that. But I wound up having to go to court several times to testify against the lady. They actually took this, what, what may have been, I don't know, optimistically a $60 trade. They took it to, like, actual court. And over the ensuing years, I was called as a witness, like, five times to testify against this lady over the course of, like I said, about three years. And it was not like a small, I mean, when you go to court folks, you know, you got, you had to dress up. You had to put on like a suit and tie representing the company, this, that, and the other. And it was like a whole to do. And most of the time that, that we went, the lady didn't even show up for court. And I was basically just there to say, hi, yes, I took the trade and hi, yes, they're stolen. And I don't know what ended up becoming of the lady, but yeah, I had to show up to court over this lady and her like stolen games about four or five times over the course of like three years. It was nuts. Like it would just be random. I would just get random notices, random phone calls being like, hi, yeah, you're going to have to come to another court date. Like (laughs) I never saw anything like it. Like in all my time working there, I never had to do anything like that before. It it just, it, it was mind blowing. (laughs) had another uh, real quick trade related story. That's pretty funny. I was working with uh, my third key one night and uh, this kid comes in. You, you know how it goes when, when the person comes in right before closing, (laughs) I'm talking two minutes before he closed the door. You know, that feeling. And similar to your story, this is a little kid, clearly underage, right? He couldn't have been older than like 12. And, He's got like a PSP, uh, just a bunch of like, just it's not in good condition. Like we already knew we were going to have to market as defective if we took it. And it was a similar situation where I told, I was like, dude, like you're clearly not old enough. Do you have like a parent with you or whatever? And he was like, oh yeah, my grandpa's in the truck. I just want to know how much I'll get for all this. And I'm tallying stuff up. And I'm like, yeah, man. It's like it's not going to be much. Like it's in bad shape. Like this doesn't work or whatever. We're gonna have to take it as defective. You're literally going to get like 15 bucks. And I'm not going to repeat the uh, swear words that this kid, who again couldn't be older than 10 or 11, he goes, I don't understand how you effing people sleep at night. And we're looking around, like we're. I'm like, dude, like, I thought we were being punked. This little kid is sitting here swearing at me, and I was like. Hey man, um go ahead and go ahead and get your grandpa in here or I'm going to just refuse the sale altogether. He gets his grandpa, and his grandpa has got to be 90 plus, just absolute fossil.
1: <laughs> coming into the store
0: at a snail's pace. I felt so bad for the guy. And I'm explaining to him like, "Hey, like your grandson has been in here like using bad language at me." um this is how much he's looking at getting and he's was basically just like is, is this what you want to do and he's like yeah and we've you know we finished the trade or whatever and we're just laughing the whole time because we couldn't believe the situation and as you know what is standard protocol when you get a trade in is you wipe the data right pretty much immediately all the personal information off of the system stuff like this you wipe it so the trade's finished and my third key at the time is in the process of wiping all the data off of the system. And we literally go to lock the door because we are well past closing at this point. And the kid runs back up and he goes, Oh, I I changed my mind. And I was like, dude, (laughs) we've already wiped the data off your PlayStation. Are you effing serious? Blah, blah, blah. (laughs) We ended up reversing the entire thing, took the money back from him and gave him his PSP back. And I was like, um, yeah, you're, you're not allowed to trade here again. (laughs) never saw him again
1: (laughs) well we've you and i both had a lot of very memorable customers over the course of our 10 years in video game retail but i definitely wanted to tell our listeners about the most memorable guest not customer guest that i've ever had the pleasure of dealing with
0: Ooh, yeah let's get one last good one bring us home all right
1: so (laughs) <laughs> so because I was the store manager, I was of course in charge of dealing with you know if anybody wanted to come in for a sponsorship or if anybody wanted to come in for official business whatsoever, I was of course the person who had to deal with them. So we had a, we had so many different people come through, a lot of local kids looking for sponsorships or looking for ad space in the school paper, uh a lot of local sports teams coming in, wanting sponsorships. And we had some credit card companies, obviously MasterCard, American Express, because we accepted them. They were technically an affiliate partner. Actually, uh, we partnered with MasterCard and American Express so that we could take, it, take them in our store. We had this duo of ladies come in, and I wish I mm. could remember their names. I really do, because they walk in, and they say, uh, hello, uh, we're from American Express. We'd like to talk to the manager real quick. And, you know, Tony was like, well, you're speaking to the right person. Oh, well, great. You know, we know that you're a business that takes our card. We just wanted to take a few seconds to to thank you and drop this off and see if there was any way that we could make it more. And, you know, she was kind of going through her little pitch. Right. And right in the middle of her pitch, she just looks around and says, "Oh, this is nice. Is this a video game store?" And you know, kind of <laughs> smirking. I was like, "Yes, it's <laughs> we're very clearly a video game store." And what this woman tells me, I still have trouble comprehending. <laughs> I'm ready genuinely to this day the words that I'm about to repeat. I s- it's still hard for me to process. "Yes, ma'am, we're we're a video game store, of course." Oh, that's cool. I actually used to work for Capcom. It was really cool. They actually let me name the Resident Evil franchise. So, how about the Americans? Like, whoa, 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 uh, h- whoa, hang on. what? <laughs> whoa, what? Huh? <laughs>
0: what? I'm sorry. Did you... what? Huh? What? Hang on. Where'd so, it... she said they let her name the Resident Evil franchise. So, I,
1: according to her, well, th- this was my entire response. Like, I, she tries to just go directly from that back into her pitch. And I just like, no, stop. You need to stop right there. I have to process the words that you just spoke to me. You need to give me a second. You worked for Capcom. Yeah, I worked for Capcom. uh, It was a while ago, but yeah, I worked for Capcom for a few years. And she actually brings up on her phone, like some pictures of some Capcom swag that I don't remember ever seeing in stores. Oh, wow. And I'm just still trying to process this like, and Resident Evil, huh? It's like, yeah, when when we got the game here in America, it was called Biohazard and they were spitballing names and I just threw it out and they decided to go with it. So, so yeah, I thought that was pretty cool that I got to do that. But And what? then she just, again, just tries to roll off of that. And I'm like, you, no, stop, please stop. I, I can't, I actually can't process everything that you're telling me right now. Like, because you don't expect somebody to just walk up to you, especially in our field as an icebreaker. Hey, how you doing? Lovely day today. I named one of the most iconic video game franchises in history. How are you? You know, how's your day going? That's not an icebreaker. That's, I again, I still don't know how to react to that like a human being. So you just threw out this monumental piece of information at me like it was just nothing. Just here, take that and deal with it.
0: That's crazy. I, yeah. I mean, like, so, so she shows you some swag, some Capcom swag to sort of like prove that, yes, indeed, she did, you know, she did work for them. Is there any sort of like, have you looked up like any sort of like developer diary or something to like see if you can find her on there? I looked a few things
1: up. I was never able to find anything. I was never able to verify anything. So, I can't say for sure that everything she was saying was true. I can say for sure that based on the pictures she showed me, there was a much better chance than zero of it being true. Because again, the, the swag and the, and the Capcom stuff that she at least had pictures of, I didn't recognize any of it. I didn't recognize any of it as products that I'd ever seen. So, and uh, again, when she was standing in the middle of a video game store it still took her a few seconds to realize she was standing in the middle of a video game store. So she clearly wasn't familiar right. with with games. So for her to just... For somebody who wasn't necessarily familiar with games to just immediately just snap is like, Oh yeah, I know
0: about Resident Evil. I named it. Right. How crazy. Like that makes me think it's kind of true. Well, yeah, because like if, if it... <sighs> if it weren't true, right. The person who would be lying about that would be like, Oh, you know, I uh, named the resident evil series. You know, I came up with that, right. You know, because she was so casual about it. It probably was true. Now I pulled up this article here because as you've been talking about this, I've just been like feverishly trying to research this. And (laughs) I've, I found a 2009 article on Kotaku from Luke Plunkett called why was biohazard changed to resident evil? And I've got a quote here from Capcom's Chris Kramer who explains that quote in late 1994 Capcom Entertainment in the US was starting to ramp up marketing plans for the game that would eventually become known as Resident Evil in the US and then so he goes on to say that Capcom Japan had let us know that the name of the game was going to be biohazard in Japan. But I pointed out to the person who ran marketing at the time that it would be next to impossible for Capcom to register the name in the U S and that person is who came up with the name resident evil. You may have met that person. Like she may have just been the head of Capcom's U S marketing at that point in 1994. How crazy is that? That lines up. Holy moly. That's
1: crazy. I mean if somebody tells me that somebody like that is coming to the store, cool. But you just don't throw that out. I I mean, oh man, just even talking about this story breaks my brain a little bit. <laughs>
0: To be so casual about it, yeah. I mean, like, we, we've had the opportunity. You know, th- that's one of the perks. You know, th- there are a lot of perks to working in video game retail. Um, I mean, look, you're surrounded by video games all day, like we kind of touched on earlier. It's great when you get to talk to other people who are, like, genuinely passionate about games. It's great when you can educate people about video games. Like, that, those facets of the job are great. You get discounts every now and then. You would get free games. That's all awesome. But, uh, but yeah, I, I can't say that I ever had like a mind-melding experience quite like that. That's crazy.
1: Yeah, I mean, and I always did stuff. I, I always tried to be, you know, I, I didn't want to try to try too hard to be the cool boss or whatever. Right. But I, I always did try to make sure that my employees were enjoying themselves. At least we had game nights on Sundays because we closed early on Sundays. So me and the employees would stay after and we'd play Mario Kart. And I would inevitably get the worst items. (laughs) And then I actually did something really cool. Uh, Every Christmas I would buy them. I'd buy all my employees gift cards. And then once for uh, for Easter, I actually hid 12 eggs around the store. And then uh, we were closed on Easter. But 12.01 Easter morning, I sent out a mass text to all my employees saying... There are 12 eggs hidden around the store. If by the end of this evening, I get a picture of them all back in the basket. You get, cause they all had keys. You all get $15 gift cards to the store. So nice. I was always trying to do stuff like that, but circumstances like that with the Capcom lady, you just cannot create those just fall into your plate and you just have to find out how to, how to deal with that information.
0: That's awesome. That's a great story. Yeah, and it's funny how innocuous that stuff is, too. And that's another reason why I'm inclined to believe her, because a lot of things, like, as you come to learn more about game development, a lot of stuff is just happy accidents like that. Or just innocuous things that just become accidentally iconic, right? So, I I could totally... I I buy it. I buy it. It's just so weird. That's awesome. Well... I mean, we could honestly, we could sit here and swap a swap war stories all night, but I think all of this to say, treat your associates well this holiday. When you're out there, you're buying your video games for your Christmas presents or whatever, uh, because they have to go through some stuff, man. (laughs) Tell me about it. So we salute you holiday retail employees. Here's to you.
1: Yes. Have a productive, safe, hopefully enjoyable, Holiday season. Again, this is unlike any holiday season that America has had in generations. So, uh, all the more reason if you are on the buying end of the spectrum, please be patient, please be respectful. And if you are a retail associate, please do everything you can to keep yourself safe and happy this uh, Christmas season. So, but wasn't that nice, buddy? Didn't didn't it actually feel kind of therapeutic to share some of those stories with the folks?
0: You know, I'm not going to lie. It actually did. It's It is kind of nice to kind of let people know what it's like for the video game retail employee out there. We see you guys
1: but I'm sure we're not the only ones with some amazing and hilarious stories from the world of retail. If you have any, you would love to share with us. We would definitely love to hear them. Please do reach out to us on Facebook at all in podcast on Twitter at all in podcast and whatever service you are listening to us on. Please do like, and subscribe, share with your friends and family. We very, very much appreciate you listening and you being supportive of what we're doing here. Thank you so much. But Uh, man we've got so much but we've got to get back to shopping i've got so much stuff to do so much stuff to get
0: yeah i mean it's 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 been a great show but i'm i'm serious hanukkah is right around the corner man i have got to hit amazon hard
1: but yeah guys we'll catch you right back here next week i have been advanced wars days of eric
0: and i have been seth the newest holiday hire in nook's cranny we'll catch you guys next week bye